Hello and welcome, my name is Matt Mayer, aka The Implications, columnist of the Imps Adventures series on LawsOfPain.net and your Perfect 10 Wrestling host right here on Laws of Pain Radio. You can follow me on Twitter at the Damn Implicat. and tonight it's a very different one once again as we are in the Christmas slash New Year's season where I'm busy as hell and I'm not able to watch four hours of wrestling, therefore just, just do specials to mask that fact. Last week we did the Network Awards, that was a last minute decision. I made the decision for today's show yesterday, as it suddenly dawned on me that my entire, for the last two weeks, my entire weeks have been revolved around one man. So to me it kind of made all the sense in the world, especially as I'm not going to be really able to do a really big in-depth build-up to Wrestle Kingdom. I am planning to hopefully, maybe, do a preview show on January 3rd, which is the day before Wrestle Kingdom. So the likelihood is that, if you're in England especially, that by the time the show goes out, you're going to hear it like really close to Wrestle Kingdom itself, if not after. Uh, that said, if I get, I'm planning to do it with an Australian, so I can release it really early January 3rd to like help you hear it. That's the plan anyway, I need to get in touch <laughs> with us um, to get that organised. However, tonight I thought I'd do a really in-depth thing. So, as I put out a column, which, uh, thank God, I'm really happy it did so well, <laughs> the uh, IMPS uh, NJ- NJPW Adventure, the story of Hiroshi Tanahashi Part 1, uh, yeah, that took a very long time to put together. I'm currently 3,000s word deep into part two. But so part one is the rise or becoming of the ace, as I named it. Uh, part two is, I've named it the ace of the universe. So part two is ma- mostly going to be about uh, him as the ace. But I wanted to go through everything. Because the kind of point is that it's a long column. So I understand if people... If some people probably aren't up for reading two seven to eight thousand word columns, that that is yeah, it's perfectly understandable. <laughs> that makes sense that you wouldn't be up for that. So, or some people wouldn't be up for that. So, I've decided to do this Laws of Pain Radio version of the column. It is a lot more condensed, and I am also planning to. I'm going to try and condense it, obviously, because seven thousand words <laughs> it's going to take an age to get through. So, I'll condense it in parts, but I still want to get across the message of the column. Really, it's. Going into Wrestle Kingdom, I have seen quite a few comments online of people saying that uh, they understand that Tanahashi is really popular in Japan, and they just don't know why. They don't know why he is so popular in Japan, so that's kind of what I decided to do, is dig into Tanahashi's past. And if you read my column on the story of Okada and Naito last year, well, it went to each person, and each column was, year by year, I went through what happened, in as much detail as I probably could to help with the flow. Uh, Same with this one, except for Tanahashi debuted in 1999, suddenly the column is twice as big. (laughs) That's exactly what's happened. Um, But with all the effort put in, it was so good for my mental health. (laughs) That that it's done well. Uh, uh, So part two's in the works. I don't know if I'll hit Sunday or before Christmas, but we'll see how it goes. I haven't got hyped for Christmas at all. <laughs> it's it's one of those where I was I had to go out and do Christmas shopping today, but the entire time I was getting annoyed. So I was thinking about I need to be planning the Laws of Pain radio show, and I need to be continuing the studies for thing. I was I'm currently in Kojima winning the G1, and he's gonna, he's winning the. Oh. <laughs> so it's uh, I've made it to 2010, and I'm it was 2010 stroke 2011 in my writing of that one. So and I've got to make it to 
I don't know. I don't know when I'm splitting it. <laughs> Okada makes things complicated. And anyway, I'll get to it in time. So the aim of today's show is to go through it in as much detail as possible. It might accidentally feel a bit like a uh, Samuel Plan Sports Entertainment is dead, just in terms of the way I'm going through things. But that's the price you pay. Is <laughs> it sounds a bit like the show you listened to yesterday? Uh, plans we get loads of praise for his awesome show. So I'm not nicking it. <laughs> it's just I'm meaning through a thing. Anyway, so. For the people who either haven't read the column, if you have read it as well, there'll be extra tidbits and things along the way. Uh, but with the story of Roshi Tanahashi, why is he so beloved in Japan to the level that he is? Is kind of what we're going back for. So, first of all, as I put in the start of the column, get your hot drink before I begin, because it's an epic. <laughs> There's a lot to go. I'm hoping to God I can keep this under a certain amount of time. I'm starting recording this at half past ten at night with having to get up tomorrow. <laughs> Tomorrow's a Friday. <laughs> so, hope to God. Ugh. So, the first thing you have to uh, take into account, the story of Hiroshi Tanahashi is the story of New Japan in the modern era. He is the man who saved New Japan ten years ago from certain death, and it kind of ties into his story with Omega a bit, just that mentality that he's got about he is the one who protects New Japan. So, that's... That's the kind of thing that we see that getting built over the course of the two columns. It's just that mentality. You can see why it suddenly makes sense for him to say the things he is saying to Kenny Omega when he kind of delve into the history. Because uh, that's another important part about New Japan. Just in understanding their booking philosophy. It isn't just... It's not like WWE where they do something for a pop. There is, there's none of that. And it's not something where you have stories last a certain amount of time. You get little stories, but quite often there's a very clear reason for it, and if it doesn't hit home more often than not, there you have the trust that it will be twisted into something. So a good example will be, I guess, Tetsuya Naito, where in 2014, it, well, he won the 2013 G1 Climax to go to the Vessel Kingdom 2014, and it flopped. Did not work at all. So, <laughs> and the match got voted out of the main event just to kind of squish that story down a bit. But, long term, look at Naito now. And by Wrestle Kingdom in 2018, at the beginning of this year, he was like he and Okada walking out, they both felt like superstars. It's like, that was the main event. It was a huge moment. And that took years getting there. So it was from Wrestle Kingdom 2014 all the way to Wrestle Kingdom 2018. They were building Naito, using what happened, using the characters. So more often than not, a character's story lasts years you get little stories that last a year, but a good example is actually uh, Naito's current story with Chris Jericho, where that started the night after Wrestle Kingdom this year, and it's probably just going to slap bang end at Wrestle Kingdom this year, and both men will move on. Either Jericho will stick around because of the success of the Jericho cruise, you may be seeing more Jericho than you expected, as in terms of longevity of his character, because I was expecting him to be like a one year, I was expecting him to be like a one off appearance, then he attacked Naito, and then he was in the greatest Royal Rumble, <laughs> I keep forgetting that. And then he, was, then he was back in New Japan, and then he's done the Joker Cute Cruises, had his match with Evil to set up this match with Naito. And it's... Yeah, I've drifted off a little bit. <laughs> but the point being, that's a one-year arc, but it's within the bigger story. So if you have a shorter arc, it's normally within a bigger story. So I noticed it's called a one-year arc, a shorter arc. That, that's kind of point in <laughs> New Japan. More often than not, the story either lasts years or for somebody's career... Because it'll be called back upon years to come, like you've seen with Okada Tanahashi. That pretty much ended a couple of years ago, but it's been brought back. And it was, uh, again, this year you've seen more Tanahashi Okada matches. Just, it's 
It's quite interesting. Not with the same stakes. It's completely different stakes, but it continues the story. So, let's start with Tanahashi all the way back. <laughs> so, as, I, as I've explained that, you'll understand why I'm going all the way back to his young lion years. Because it will become important. So, uh, young lion, he debuted in late 1999. I think it's November. Uh, the extra tidbit is, I can't remember who his debut match was with. But I know the one on New Japan World, if you've seen the picture on my column, uh, the oh yeah, the, the, the column, is, it's just gone off the page, but if you click on like the drop-down link to go back, it will link you to my columns, they'll, they'll all be there. But anyway, so, there's a man facing away from camera, <laughs> looking at a young Tanahashi with short, dark hair. That man uh, looking away, Tanahashi's opponent in that clip, is, I think he's called at that point, like Shinya Makabe, whose na- name over time then changed to Togi Makabe. After like the mid two thousands, so that is Togi Makabe and Hiroshi Tanahashi, two guys that by the end of the noughties are like the focal points of New Japan. Uh, we haven't got it there properly yet in the first column, but in the second one, I'm well into Togi Makabe time. <laughs> oh, I was going to say Togi time, that felt a bit weird. But yeah, so yeah, he becomes a huge star. Tanahashi becomes the star. So I thought that's quite an interesting image. Where if you know that's Makabe, <laughs> it's quite an interesting thing. Uh, but yeah, so Tanahashi was seen as a hot prospect in his early. Like he's got, he had a typical young line run where they help out shows, they do all the laundry for what all the uh, all the higher ups, <laughs> all the proper wrestlers. Um, yeah, they do the barriers and everything, do the matches. They te- they do the ring ropes. They make sure the rings all in good con- condition. Uh, but also they they must have seen the promise because in two thousand two thousand one he. Got young lion wins. By that mean, well, I mean he loses most of his matches, but he'll get the odd surprise win. And the two names that he got victories over were Scott Hall and Kenzo Sasaki. Like every young lion they kind of like, they'll get a few of these. Okada got this. If you watch Okada's young lion run before he goes to TNA, <laughs> you'll see he gets a few spots and little runs and things. He's still a young lion, but he's getting certain spots and things because they can see the potential. Same with Tanahashi here, uh, Scott Hall and Sasaki. Trust me, look up Sasaki. <laughs> Sasaki, he's got a very interesting story. I might do it one day. It's just that he's not... It's not like I'm trying to explain the current characters to people why they should should care, but Ken Sasaki, so really worth looking into, especially his story with Yuji Nagata for the Vessel Kingdom in 2004. A belter of a match. <laughs> a lot of blood in it, <laughs> but it fits really well. But anyway, so the interesting thing for Tanahashi was early on in 2001, he was entered into the G1 Climax. Not a normal thing for a young lion. That That's not a thing. That the Young lions don't get into the G1 Climax. So the fact that he did was interesting and also an interesting booking decision. Just at the time, like, kind of, it was a bit questionable from what I could find out was why he was in there. Was It was a bit of a, oh, Anoki. Because <laughs> that's one other thing to keep in mind. Uh, Antonio Noki took over the booking and I'm not sure about the ownership deals and things. I've not looked into that. But he, in the early 2000s to 2000, the late 2005, Antonio Noki was the head booker and he started incorporating more and more MMA things. We'll get back, we'll get into that as we get closer to those years. But it's just that thing that weird little booking things are already happening. And yeah, in the next year or so, like the likes of Yuji Nagato, or just mentioned in relation to Sasaki. He does get into issues because of Antonio Inoki. <laughs> Put it like that. So, yeah, so uh, quite often as well, young lions get put with a sensei. And they are underneath them as their rookie. I can't remember the Japanese term <laughs> for the one, for the trainee, the rookie. But anyway, so he is the rookie who is often seen with a man called Keiji Muto. 
who Western fans or WCW fans will know as the Great Muter. So he was the guy under the Great Muter who was often helping him to the ring or helping him afterwards after a beatdown or in his corner. Uh, Keiji Muto also, in terms of relation to Japan, he is known as one of the Three Musketeers. So in the 90s, Ed, uh, Ed New Japan had three guys who they built their entire company around with the ethos of it's their stories would be their rivalries, be individual, and then come the big shows they'd often interact with each other. So that's the kind of way it works, and it gave you a bit more of variety. Having three guys at the top, that meant you've got a variety of things you can do, because if each one is facing a different opponent, that's three different top matches. And if they're facing each other, that's like the biggest of the matches. <laughs> it's like you can, you've got a lot of play with that, with that idea. So that's what I did. So the three people were Keiji Muto, Shinya Hashimoto, and Masahiro Chono. So you'll see Chono on commentary uh, now and then. He's the guy with the shades. <laughs> I know him from uh, Gaki no Sakai, which is a comedy show in Japan, which I watch because I find it hilarious. <laughs> I don't watch they're, they're like a weekly show, but I, I watch the odd thing. <laughs> it's just it translates well with the British kind of sketch show panel show kind of community. <laughs> like the, a lot of, some Japanese television translates well. Gaki no Sakai is one of them, and Chono is one of the people who appears on that now and then, normally to slap one of them in their annual. That's it. I'm going off topic. <laughs> so, uh, Keiji Muto, you were also seeing commentary, the bold lad with the grey beard. <laughs> I'm trying to explain it to people who don't really follow New Japan, if you're wondering. <laughs> and uh, it's uh, that's the, what I kind of want to do. If you don't really follow New Japan that much, you're wanting to get something out of this. Hence the kind of silly descriptions of the legends. <laughs> I mean, this. Uh, Shinya Hashimoto unfortunately died in, I want to say, 2004. Might be later than that. Uh, I, think, I think he had a random... Uh, Brain henurism, something like that. I can't remember what it was, but either way, and sorry, aneurysm. Don't know what a henurism is. That <laughs> when a chicken gets it. Either way, yeah. So uh, they they were the three musketeers, and they built the entire company around them. Uh, so Tanahashi, as later on he says, that he believes that each generation has their own three musketeers, and this was kind of him under Keiji Muto. This is when he first witnessed it. And then he learned about like early when he was a kid. That's when he kind of related it back to the era before as well. But the three, the three musketeers were the biggest thing, and he was under Keiji Muto, who was one of them. So he got ex- the biggest experience he could possibly get, literally leaning on the ring, watching this legend in action or future legend as it would be. And of course, wrestling in the nineties in Japan, absolutely massive. It's really useful that it was also uh, there was a big boom in America, so it's really easy to relate what it was like. But in Japan, it was so many <laughs> companies and organisations were able to sell out such big arenas. It's kind of insane to think about. It wasn't just like one or two promotions. It was wrestling that was big. And you had your big promotions, obviously, and your big names. But it was still, wrestling was in a huge boom. So it's really it's a really interesting period to look back on just because of how massive it was and how easily they could sell out huge stadiums and things. Uh, multiple Tokyo Dome shows a year rather than just the one for New Japan. Personally, I prefer making the Tokyo Dome special instead of doing multiple shows over the year. But still, wrestling was huge and Keiji Muto was one of the people in that huge boom. So I guess relate it to Stone Cold and The Rock, where they became absolutely massive during the biggest boom. It's kind of similar to that. I don't want to relate Japan to America too much, but just it kind of helped with that one. However, so uh, Tanahashi had his 2000 and 2001 were good young line development years. However, in 2002, that's when things kind of changed. So uh, Tanahashi had been teamed with a man called Kenzo Sasaki, or Suzuki. I can't remember his last name. He's the guy who teamed with Rene Dupree to win the Tag Team Championships. 
that one from the mid two thousands. <laughs> basically, he's the guy who is in. The, I think he's in the two thousand and five Royal Rumble. And my initial reaction when I saw him was, "Who's that lad? <laughs> I do not know who this man is. Who are you, random Asian man? Uh, that man is Kenzo Suzuki or Suzuki. I've written it down somewhere else in like an earlier draft. So that, that was kind of something that I kind of cut out was just the fact that he was having this tag team with uh, Kenzo. And it seemed to be going quite well. They are getting some positiveness. They made it onto the early card of uh, the Tokyo Dome show on January 4th in 2002, at the beginning of 2002. And it seemed like they could be getting some early success with that kind of thing. Kind of similar to what they did with Naito, where Naito was teamed with Yujiro Takahashi. Uh, you would have seen them in TNA as No Limit. I think that was their name in New Japan as well. But he had some junior, more athletic tag team kind of developing thing, and then they kind of branch out a bit. Uh, so what you saw with Naito is kind of... I'm assuming that's what the plan might have been for Tanahashi with, on a longer kind of arc instead of... It was a bit rushed with Naito, which is a bit of an issue. But with Tanahashi, it seemed that that might have been the idea. But we'll never know. Because in November 2002, uh, Tanahashi was stabbed by TV news reporter Hide, Hitomi Hihara. <laughs> Jesus, I struggled with that name. Hitomi Hara. Uh, he'd been dating her for a little while and he tried to break things off because apparently he was seeing another lady. Uh... Hitomi Hara did not take that well and uh, two stab wounds to the back later and Tanahashi is in hospital there's a rumour which I didn't include in the th- in the column because it's a rumour I didn't want to it was like Hi, it doesn't feel right <laughs> but the rumour is that he with after he'd been stabbed in the back twice like uh, apparently Hitomi Hara meant to kill him it didn't work and Tanahashi if she was like, emotionally kind of distraught kind of thing so I don't know what her emotions were afterwards obviously but in that moment that's what she meant and Tanahashi then, with the knife still in his back, the rumour is that he then got on his scooter and rode to hospital <laughs> with the knife still in his back. So, that's the rumour. I don't know if that's, oh yeah, Tanahashi's a god, I heard he did this. <laughs> it's like, that sounds too superhuman to be true, <laughs> that he did that. But it would, It's an awesome story, <laughs> if it actually happened. Ah. But the thing was that this was huge this story after after he got stabbed he got huge mainstream attention but not not just in Japan it made it to the New York Times this was a huge thing for Tanahashi and without question this would have obviously been a difficult time for Tanahashi however the mass media coverage created a swell of sudden support and the whole incident ended up really becoming the greatest thing to happen to his career especially at that stage it's come to the end of the year there's huge mainstream interest in seeing him returning and New Japan rightfully jumped on that <laughs> when we get to uh, 2003 they, they yeah, f- 100% the right decision to jump on that interest where he had a match where his return match was against Manabu Nakanishi who was kind of one of the guys reaching their prime so you know, I refer to these guys quite often but the likes of uh, Hiroshi Tenzan <laughs> I can't say his first name he's just Tenzan uh, Nakanishi Tenzan Nagata uh, I guess Kojima, who ended up leaving, uh, they were all reaching their prime at this point. So uh, it made sense in a way where with this big comeback, you put one of those guys in a match with Tanahashi. And that's what they did. And it, ever since then, his popularity began to climb. And it's arguably never finished since then. He's got so, so popular. Uh, so later in the year, they created, New Japan created this championship called the U30 Openweight Championship. Where the point was, if you're under 30, you can wrestle for this. It makes sense. It's like a youth championship. It's quite... I like the idea of it. Uh, obviously, it kind of segments in a little way. 
But that's the idea of it. It doesn't matter what weight class you are, because it's open weight. It's if you're under 30, you can compete for this title to be like a promising youth of the future champion in a way. It's not a bad idea. However, there's one issue. That this time in New Japan, especially 04 and 05, but we're kind of entering it now, is this was referred to as New Japan's Dark Ages, where attendance was going down, and Oki's booking was turning people away. Not on purpose. He was just... You could see, it feels you know when you watch WWE and it feels like there isn't really much of a direction and things things are just happening a little bit more too random and it's a bit too rash. Same thing here. This is what happened here as well. Also, the incorporation of MMA. So this I've seen this related to WWE as well in terms of the fears of what could happen if WWE don't check themselves before they wreck themselves. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> ah. <laughs> but yeah, so essentially, Tony Inoki's love for MMA. You like the MMA versus wrestling, because that's something like those untraditional fights brought Inoki immense fame, and he's always found them extremely interesting. And at the time, MMA was huge. And these matches drew money in the early 2000s, uh, especially in Japan. I mean, MMA was huge in Japan. It, was, it really took off in the early 2000s. Uh, but Inoki's booking and kind of love for that brought New Japan very close to collapsing, to a point where in 2005 it reached a point. So, uh, his top wrestlers were either humiliated in shoot fights with top MMA fighters, or those same MMA fighters were stinking up the ring trying to keep up with wrestlers. Like, MMA fans didn't want to watch wrestling, wrestling fans didn't want to watch MMA. Neither were happy. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, in the end, people just started turning away, especially, apparently, uh, kids, and like, mums didn't like, uh, families didn't like their kids kind of watching this, so they were demographic pushed away by this were mothers and kids. And... Also included in that, two of the biggest 90s stars that brought up in the Three Musketeers, Muto and Hashimoto, both left. They were act- actively pushed away with like, arguments with booking and things. There's a whole thing with Hashimoto with, with uh, like he was fired and stuff as well, in terms of disagreements and booking issues where if it was, like the kind of sentiment is, if it was like him having created differences and getting fired because he didn't want to be, he didn't like his booking, he got angry or something. The understanding is that's quite under- yeah quite understandable <laughs> that he would feel that way. So, yeah, again, more relation to WWE. It would make sense they'd be a bit angry with the way the creative has taken them. Uh, top guy at the tart guy. Oh, I can't really speak. The top guy at the time probably got it the worst. So Yuji Nagata, he stayed. He won the 2001 G1 Climax. If I'm getting it not confused with 2000. <laughs> um, yeah, so he was becoming like an ace of New Japan slowly, gradually over time. Uh, however. He was then, because he was the top guy, he was the big shining beacon for New Japan for the near future. He was put into these legit MMA fights by Inoki to kind of showcase that we are the strongest style of wrestling. We are the, we have the heart of the fighters. But he was put into matches with MMA legends like Mirko Krokop uh, and Fedor Emelianenko. <laughs> Emelianenko. Emelian. Sam, tell me how to say that. <laughs> oh. Fedor and Krokop, I'll say that. But yeah, those names. How did they think that was going to go? Uh, Nagata, there's a famous clip on. You can find it on YouTube now. Uh, Nagata versus Crowcrop. Uh, Crowcrop destroys him in 18 seconds, <laughs> uh, and obviously that completely destroyed Nagata. It took him years to get back to that like ace potential ace of New Japan that he uh, really was. That like, he was still a very good wrestler and put on amazing matches, but obviously that destroyed his credibility. Uh, but they, they got some money in, but in the process, uh, New Japan's credibility was kind of being damaged, and that was a kind of philosophy, philosophy fans held about Anoki was he didn't mind New Japan getting damaged this way. 
or he didn't realise the long-term effects of what he was doing, which would slowly come into effect. So with 2003 coming along, Anoki realised that he, he thought he needed some new faces at the top. That was his idea. Push the youth. Uh, so, which meant he was pushing over those guys like Nagata, Nakanishi, Tenzan and uh, Kojima, who I already said. I think at this point Kojima's already left. Uh, he apparently hated the MMA push, so I don't know what point he left. I think it was 2002 at some point. Um, so Inoki picked out three promising wrestlers and pushed them straight into the main event. By Wrestle Kingdom 2004, you see uh, Tanahashi versus Nakamura. Oh, that's right. By 2005, <laughs> sorry, you see Tanahashi versus Nakamura, and they constantly cut to Shibata at the back. Keep in mind, it's only 2003 when these guys have been picked out. So, like in a year and a half, all three of those guys are solely the main event, and they're fighting for the U30 Championship as well. It's really odd. But keeping in mind, also at that point, January 4th show wasn't Wrestle Kingdom. It wasn't the annual event that everything was built around. It was a big show. It was a big special show that they had for years, and it was their, like an annual tradition. But uh, as far as I can tell, it wasn't anything like it is today. It wasn't branded like uh, Wrestle Kingdom is to be the focal point like WrestleMania. So at this time, it was an odd decision <laughs> to put them in the main event. But that's, yeah. Because the thing with Tanahashi was he was slowly developing really well with the under 30. Uh, again, the youth championship, just to get your experience, it makes so much sense to do that sort of thing. I've, also, I've seen like the, with the Cruiserweight Championship what that's done for Mustafa Ali and kind of the way he's developed and now it's like he's been promoted. It, I kind of feel it could be a bit like that. But Tanahashi was growing nicely. Like, in spite of the MMA stuff that's ha- uh, damage that's happening around him, he was doing relatively well. He was growing well as well. Uh, but the push, the push has already somewhat started with Tanahashi, and we really see it in 2004. With 2004 and 5 being the darkest of the dark ages <laughs> in, in terms of New Japan. But there is still some some good stuff. As I was saying, Sasaki versus Nagata at uh, the Tokyo Dome in 2004... Amazing. <laughs> there is some golden stuff in this era. Uh, the other thing to keep in mind is I think it was I think it was 2003 or 2004, I get a bit confused. Anyway, uh, with Nakamura, he skipped the young lion. So the three people that Inoki chose were Hiroshi Tanahashi, Katsuyori Shibata and Shinsuke Nakamura. Uh, Shibata and Tanahashi were young lions and they've been through the young lion thing and had a proper training. Nakamura, the thinking is it's because of his MMA background impressing Inoki. He skipped all of that and he immediately debuted onto the main roster. But it wasn't like a former wrestler or anything. He just didn't. He didn't really have that much experience. He did, apparently did a little bit of training and then very quickly was on the card. And by his first Festival Kingdom, he was already in the main event. So that's what I mean by kind of rushed kind of thing. <laughs> Even without the youth, he was like, he, yeah, he wasn't at a calm. Let's figure this out kind of pace. He was panic already, <laughs> which is not a great sign. And he wouldn't sell the company for another two years. So Tanahashi. The thing that probably saved him the most was the fact he was a rising star. And that kind of probably kept him away from a lot of the MMA bollocks that was happening. Like, he still had to do tag team matches with the odd MMA guy, but like the overall, he wasn't really... He was never pushed into a proper MMA fight. He was never going to get damaged that way because, like, the bigger stars were taking that hit. Tanahashi wasn't a name they could sell at this point. Plus, at the top of the card, you were seeing MMA fighters as the IWGP champion, which, <laughs> now to think about, is... It's kind of ludicrous, because <laughs> they were still MMA fighters. So, like Brock Lesnar is an MMA fighter, but he's also a wrestler. He was a wrestler before he, he went to the UFC, obviously. And then he came back and he does wrestling properly. He does wrestling properly. <laughs> he does actually wrestle. Compared to the champions we saw in New Japan, they were MMA fighters first, and then 
wrestlers, but they weren't really wrestlers because they hadn't trained to be wrestlers. I don't know how much they wanted to be wrestlers. Uh, like the likes of Bob Sapp come, come to mind, and the uh, um, what's his name, Fujita as well. I can't remember his name. I think that's right. People who were MMA fighters who were then winning the, their wrestling championship, but they weren't wrestlers. It's no, nothing like Brock Lesnar. It's closer to if they gave it to Conor McGregor because he was a big fighter and they thought he could bring in the crowd seeing him fight, go up against wrestlers. But he's doing the wrestling. <laughs> that makes any sense. If they brought in McGregor without any training, how would that go? <laughs> Obviously it won't, look, well, it won't be that great. Obviously not. Uh, even uh, Ronda Rousey, they've been smart that they've used her very sparingly in her earlier half of the year while she had training. And I think she trained for either half a year or a, th- a quarter of a year to get into that. Like, she debuted at the Rumble, she was still training, which is why she didn't really do anything. Like, she wasn't ready. And come WrestleMania, they just, like, knocked it out of the park. <laughs> uh, not everyone's a Kurt Angle, but Ronda Rousey took through it very, very well. But uh, any- anyway, so uh, the thing that kind of astounded me, and put this into the column, was that Bob Sapp was IWGP champion. However, he got stripped off, off the title after he lost an MMA fight. Totally unconnected, totally for a completely other thing. He lost an MMA fight and he was stripped of the of New Japan's top championship. Just like, what? <laughs> what is going on? It, again, I wasn't watching at that time or really able to understand much, but still, it's kind of mental <laughs> to think about. Uh, so that was happening above Tanahashi, but Tanahashi himself... It may not have had any of his flashy stuff or outfits or a glorious hair, <laughs> but he still he was developing really, really nicely. And by the time like Wrestle Kingdom came about, yeah, <laughs> Wrestle Kingdom two thousand four, sorry two thousand five. By this point, he would have yes. So the kind of thing that they did was the Under Thirty Championship to give Bernie some success, and he had some tag team action with a guy called Yoshi. I can't remember his first name, uh, but yeah, things were going well, uh, and he also got a really great experience outside of New Japan because uh, there's a lot of interpromotional happenings like New Japan wrestlers going to Noah or like vice versa or whatever uh, and at that point it was more likely than not because New Japan's stock had fallen by 2004 that Tanahashi himself he was a bit uh, he was a youth guy oh, I suppose I did explain it I used it in the comment as well if you look at Kushida today where he is a very strong working hand and he seems to bleed the ethos of New Japan same with Tanahashi around this period. That's kind of how I'd relate it. But if you wanted a wrestler that screamed New Japan and was relatively popular and a really well, full of fire wrestler, that was Tanahashi. You'd ask for him. And that's exactly what Noah did at their Tokyo Dome show. So he wrestled for the championship. And because, of course, like the huge mainstream attack attention that the stabbing got, he was still really in the public mind. And there was a real feeling he might actually win Noah's top championship. He didn't. <laughs> but he still... It was a sign of his popularity. Something that, as I put in the column, Anoki took note of that, which is a bit of an issue. So uh, then the G1 Climax rolled about. As I said, Anoki took, took a note of that, and Tanahashi would reach the final and go one-on-one with Tenzan in an awesome match, which I highly recommend you watch. Uh, it's kind of like the legend and veteran who's in kind of a prime point of his career going up against this up-and-coming kid. Uh, but the upcoming kid kind of shocks everybody. The one spot that I remembered was uh, Tenzan hit a moonsault off the top. He absolutely nailed it, and then Tanahashi kicked out, and the crowd just was like, wait, what? <laughs> As in, that wasn't meant to happen. Uh, Tenzan won, but Tanahashi showed all that spirit, and he made uh, made everybody take notice. And the other point to make, also take note of yourself is the G1 at this point in 2004, 
did not earn you a Tokyo Dome main event. That wouldn't become a thing for quite, like, maybe a decade. <laughs> it's quite a while away for that happening. It's not until maybe 2012. I don't know how right I am with that. <laughs> but still, he got his match in October. Lost, but he still had his match. I do apologise. <laughs> My body's letting me down at the moment. But yeah, so come January 4th in 2005, Tenzan wasn't the one main eventing Wrestle Kingdom. Sorry, the Tokyo Dome. Wrestle Kingdom isn't a thing either at this point. <laughs> You've got to wait a couple more years for that. So, 2005, Tokyo Dome. Tanahashi's had his kind of nice victory in 2004. Uh, made it to the G1 Climbers final. He had a few nice career notes. Also keeping the, the under-30 championship and staying with that and developing nicely. But the push is happening. You can see it gradually taking effect. <laughs> it's slowly happening over time. So then we get the main event of the Tokyo Dome. So even though Tenzan was fit, and Tenzan, well, Tenzan wasn't fit. <laughs> That's one thing to keep in mind as well. In 2005, Tenzan was having back issues. He was the uh, IWGP champion, but he, he kind of had, I don't know if he needed surgery, but I do know he was having a few issues, which comes into relevance. Like, well, I don't know when to bring up the story. I'll do it after this match. <laughs> it's something I've not put in the column, but it's really relevant to something later. That's why it's not in this column. I've included it in the next one. <laughs> As in, it's a story I find fascinating, but I'll get to it after this bit. Anyway, so the main event was Shinsuke Nakamura versus Hiroshi Tanahashi. You've got Shibata watching at ringside. It's like the Inoki pushing the youth is at full force here. Not that it helped, really. <laughs> like uh, the Apparently there was 25,000 to watch the show, but only 10,000 of those had paid. Uh, New Japan was not seen to be a, a, a show with that many stars. All Japan, they had Satoshi Kojima kicking ass <laughs> at the top of their car. Then they had others as well. Noah with Masawa and Kabashi. I don't know if Kabashi was around at this point. Uh, but oh, and Ten and uh, Ten you know he wasn't. He was gone at that point. <laughs> Whoever was around in the mid two thousands, Noah, they were doing great as well. But New Japan wasn't, and and their. As far as I can tell, the perception for New Japan and wrestling is kind of linked like WWE is to wrestling in America. So them going down hurts everybody a little bit, even if it's not completely. Again, like America, you're seeing all in when all that stuff. That like Wrestling is thriving, but the perception of WWE hurts everybody a little bit, or at least to a certain degree. So the the uh, the Wrestle Kingdom, no, Wrestle Kingdom, Tokyo Dome, I'm going to get that wrong this entire show. At <laughs> the Tokyo Dome. Tanahashi and Nakamura main evented way before their prime. Uh, Tanah- uh, Nakamura in his first year did win the Tokyo Sports like Newcomer of the Year. I don't know who else was in the running that year, but <laughs> to say that he here he's got no character, his wrestling isn't that exciting. <laughs> but you can see potential. Like you can see if if this guy, if this match, because it's under 30 championship, if this happened in like the early middle of the card, perfect. It's the perfect match for there. They did, they did a quite good job. The way you can tell with the perception of them is when they walk out, the crowd is silent. Like, there is nothing. Uh, one thing to add to that is the show was seen to have fallen flat before they walk out. So the crowd are depressed before they get to this point. Like Again, another feeling. Like, looking at this period of New Japan, like the relations to modern-day WWE are scary. Especially when you see what happened. Like, WWE got some saving graces with the Fox deals and stuff, giving them money. But New Japan at the time, you could see like the the... Decisions were just sinking them further and further, and 2005 was the year that everything hit. So you can, you've, there's, as I put in the column, there's the seeds for the future, but there's also issues that are marring the product, and you can they're in full force. 
<laughs> so the show was seen to have let down and the crowd were like kind of depressed over like we used to really love this thing I used to really enjoy it but now it's just uh, it's, it's difficult to like <laughs> so that's what I mean by it's related to like, feeling with WWE where there are things in there to enjoy but overall it's just uh, I used to really enjoy this <laughs> so Nakamura and Tanahashi they went out and they had a good match they yeah there's no, no issues with the match itself uh, Nakamura won which will become a bit of a repetitive thing for the earlier years of Wrestle Kingdom with Tanahashi was he'd struggle against Nakamura at Wrestle Kingdom and the Tokyo Dome but uh, Nakamura won became the under 30s champion we'll explain how that goes in a little bit actually no I'll just explain it here so Nakamura won here and then by the end of spring he dropped the belt because he wasn't defending it <laughs> in, the, in the column I just put booking boo what is that? <laughs> no. Yeah, I stripped of the title because they weren't booking him to defend it. <laughs> Which is that's that's not great. And then Tanahashi picked it up and held it up until he until he until he it was pretty much his championship it turned out to be. Because I did just didn't have Nakamura <laughs> defend it. Oh. No, I'm getting a weird cold thing. And at times I can't breathe <laughs> when I'm doing a longer sentence. Ah. Oh. The, the, my sacrifice is for you. So uh yeah, that, that main event, they did a good job, but it was kind of, yeah, <laughs> the forces were too strong against them. The perception of the show wasn't great, and New Japan sunk down them into the hole. Uh, so 2005 would be a very interesting year for New Japan, the first of which isn't in the column. <laughs> so this is where I'm going to kind of do an added thing. But uh, so I mentioned that Tenzan was the IWGP champion at this point. Well, the... All Japan champion, or the Triple Crown champion of the ship, I think it's called. There might be another word I'm missing out in that title. But that champion was Satoshi Kojima. And Tenzin and Kojima were like best friends. They were in NWO 2000, in the like late 90s, early 2000s, NWO craze in New Japan. They went overboard with it. They thought, yeah, you think WCW went overboard with it? Oh, yeah, wait until you see New Japan's. <laughs> Every. You know, it's, it's meant. It's, yes. I've, I might need to do something on that, because I don't really. It interests me in the over the topness of it but I don't know if I'd actually enjoy watching it <laughs> so that's the kind of thing I'm not sure what to look at but with yeah so with uh, Tashi Tene, I can't probably say it with Tenzan and Kojima uh, they decided to have a match against each other Ch- I, uh, New Japan champion versus All Japan champion and it was a winner takes all whoever won became the champion of both companies so the plan was they'd go to a 60 minute draw obviously it's the Ric Flair thing. You build up an absolutely awesome match where people are really hyped for it and then you just go to a 60-minute draw where you both get over. <laughs> the Ric Flair special. <laughs> like, you cannot lose. You just go to the 60-minute time limit. Uh, so that was the plan. However, there's a slight issue of Tenzan's back. He wasn't in great condition. And he arguably, he never should have been in a 60-minute match of like such a main event grueling capacity. He was not in a fit state to do that. And that came to bite them in the ass. Where, to, right towards the end of the match, Tenzan collapsed. He was out. He, like, he looked groggy for a while, and he was like on the outside. He got water poured over him, and he got back into the ring. But like just bef- like, at one point, he was groggy against the ropes, kind of standing there, and then Kojima slapped him. And I don't know if he was trying to, like a chop to the chest. And I don't know if he's trying to sell it, but he just kind of collapsed like he'd fainted or something, or he'd gone. Um, and he was, yeah, he was done. He was out of energy, and he was, like, and he couldn't get back up, and... And then the ten, then the counts for ten were starting, and right before the end, like Kojima tries to pick him up, <laughs> he grabs him by the head and like tries to lift him so that it doesn't end there, and then it ends. 
Kojima accidentally became the champion of both <laughs> shows. That wasn't the plan, as far as I can find out. So that happened to Kojima. So, so um, in that moment, then uh, like Nagata had a cheeky kick at him. Like they were young, some younger lion wrestlers for both shows, uh, kind of there trying to break it up somewhat. Uh, and they were really, really angry. Like the New Japan wrestlers looked like they thought they'd just been suddenly screwed out of their championship. Like it, this was a cheeky plan, <laughs> or something like a heist by All Japan to steal New Japan's title. Like their kind of rivaling promotion or rival promotion. Like so. Yeah, so they were irate. That's that's putting it lightly. They were so angry. As I said, Nagata, actually quite a trusted veteran. He kicked out <laughs> at Kojima, and then Kojima was still on the rope on the apron, kind of like somewhat protected, as the New Japan wrestlers were trying to snatch the title off of him. It's kind of it's a mental thing. It is on New Japan World. Uh, I might try and find the link and tweet it out. It's fascinating to watch, <laughs> but it's, it's an hour match as well. Keep that in mind. <laughs> Just skip to fifty-seven minutes, I think, if you only want to see this bit, but. So Tanahashi, sorry, Kojima is on the apron and he, they tried to snatch the title off of him. So I don't know what goes through Kojima's head. He either thinks, well, I wasn't meant to win it anyway, here you go. Or he thinks, well, you're trying to take it off, why well, here you go. And he chucks it into the ring. Or he, or he thought maybe this would get some awesome heat. <laughs> so Kojima then, before walking away, as he's on the apron, he chucks the IWGP Championship into the ring. So it looks like he's just tossing it onto the mat. <laughs> just... F your championship and walk and try to walk off. Tanahashi and Nakamura are two of the people who are in Tenzan's corner, and they go mental. They lose it and they chase after <laughs> they chase after Kojima down the ramp, and they catch up to him and they start hitting him and putting him on the back. And Kojima make, finally makes it to the uh, curtains, and that's when the video ends. And <laughs> it's just like, ah, right then, <laughs> okay, uh, that comes into play. Because when Kojima returns in 2010 and he does a whole uh, thing with Tanahashi in 2010, it's kind of mental to think about <laughs> that five years ago this happened and it's really important. <laughs> that is the kind of thing. So that happened. Uh, then um, he did, uh, did do a whole thing with Kojima, then dropped the title relatively quickly. Um, again, I'm assuming backstage things settled down when they realised what had happened. <laughs> Very quickly they figured out what to do to fix it and there wasn't really much after that. But... That meant that Kojima would always have natural heat if he were to ever return to New Japan. <laughs> Which is, yeah. Uh, keeping in mind that if Tenzan ever needed help tagging with somebody, like if I'm right, fighting GVH, I'm not sure if it was in New Japan or All Japan, but Tenzan would team with Kojima to kind of fight off uh, GVH later down the line at uh, the Great Bash Heel, which was like the top heel stable. In. There used to be Tenzan. Go- <laughs> this is way off topic. GVH used to be Tenzan's heel stable. And then uh, Togimaka Bay took over and they became like the top heel stable. And then they feuded a little bit with Tenzan and Kojima would come and help. That's the whole point I'm trying to make. <laughs> anyway, 2005, then Fujita becomes champion, right? WTF already. <laughs> MMA fighter. And apparently he wasn't one of the worst wrestlers. Uh, he, he, there's some kind of split of how great he was. Like his matches weren't amazing, but it's kind of split on... Like, was he as awful as the rest of them? Like, was he Bob Sapp or was he Brock Lesnar? Not New Japan Brock Lesnar, which brings me to my next (laughs) tangent. So, in 2005, this is when Brock Lesnar debuted. In a kind of mental, really weird thing. (laughs) So, uh, I'm trying to to think of a way to explain it. So, 
Masahiro that's it I'm trying to remember when he debuted and that's the thing that's throwing me off guard so Rock Lesnar debuted in October which is after the G1 so come the G1 climax Fujita is champion and they're building all these stars was Nakamura going to win was uh, Tanahashi going to win as well or were you going to get something new and different uh, I think Tanzan had taken some time off to recover that might be wrong <laughs> don't take that but uh, Brock Lesnar then made his debut on October 8th in a title match. He was immediately put into a title match. Again, alarm bells. <laughs> so Brock Lesnar is put into the G1 Climax kind of victors match. Because again, as I said, they don't get a Tokyo Dome match, but they do get a title match. Then normally that took place in October. So Masahiro Chono, who at that point was having like a veterans heroes return after some like quite difficult few years, he returned in 2005. And then he uh, won the G1, and then he went uh, up against Vegeta, that's his name. <laughs> so it was Chono and Vegeta, and then Brock Lesnar debuted, and he was put into the match. Brock Lesnar won that match. Uh, I don't know if his theory was that Chono was just not in a state to really be a heavyweight champion at that point in his career, but they gave the belt to Lesnar. Then the idea was Lesnar would fight Vegeta at Wrestle Kingdom. That would be the big match, and you have the rematch of sorts. In that way, I don't know if Lesnar pinned Chono. I've not watched the match. So apparently, he's not very good. I don't really <laughs> have the desire to force myself to watch more shit Lesnar matches. <laughs> There's already enough in the modern day. Ah, uh, and the interesting tidbit for me—I put this in column as well. Uh, Lesnar was said to be making thirty grand per appearance, and because of that turnout being so bad, New Japan lost money on that first show. It's <laughs> just ah, Lesnar. Ah. But yeah, so, as I said, Lesnar's opponent for Wrestle Kingdom, though, was Vegeta. And it's not a long kind of jump to then. But Vegeta walks out. Suddenly, he doesn't have a challenger. Also in 2005, you know, the three musketeers... The three new musketeers by Inoki, Shibata, Tanahashi, and Nakamura. Katsuyori Shibata left. He jumped out. He jumped off the sinking ship. He's like, what was happening? He left. And Tanahashi kind of saw that as, like, in New Japan's era where they needed them the most or they were about to need them so much Shibata left and jumped off ship and this pissed off Tanahashi and would come into play later because it's an amazing return in the in whatever this era's called the teens 20 teens it was noughties is it the teens now I don't know anyway so uh, yeah Shibata went to the indies and did some MMA stuff but he would come back for one match but the biggest thing in this period is that Antonio Inoki was forced to sell New Japan. So by the end of November, New Japan was sold to Ukes. And it's just that, yeah, it reached a point. <laughs> the, the, the business was so bad that it was either New Japan continued down this path and pretty much they were going to collapse, or Inoki sold to somebody and they gave it a go or whatever. Um, and that's what happened. It, they, it was sold to the video game company Ukes, who had got, they'd got some deals with Japanese wrestling before... Uh, they kind of done some dealings to do with video game stuff, and so they maybe weren't interested in getting in. But either way, this brings the this marks the end of the dark ages, really, and it start it starts the kind of three year growth out of it. So like o three to o five, the end of o five in particular, but it was already starting in the early two thousands. But then the second half of the decade is the recovery phase, as I'll call it. But anyway, so that's what happened in two thousand five. So you've got. Lesnar without an opponent. <laughs> You've just sold it. <laughs> you just sold your company. But what happens next? Uh, so, important note, I think this is when Gado takes over as Booker, or it's a bit later in 2006, as one of the Ukes' hires. 
I think. It's, it's very interesting to see the sudden shifts. So the kind of thing about that era is it's so jumpy and all over the place. Like writing the story of Tanahashi was really difficult because there's no clear point to what he's doing. <laughs> That's the biggest thing. There's rash decisions happening out of nowhere. So in terms of the story, it doesn't make sense because I don't know if there was one. It was just things happening. Like uh, Inoki pretty much just trying to make his... Re- like, thinking our wrestlers are the... We are the fighting spirit. We are the best one. We will defeat these MMA wrestlers. And then they, obviously they don't. Because <laughs> they're up against trained fighters. Oh, it's mental. Either way, this is when we get 2006 and things start to pick up. And I've realised... I'm already at like 47 minutes. <laughs> it's just, I thought it'd been like 20. <laughs> this is madness. Oh, this is going to be a longer one, by isn't Anyway, 2006. So I'm not sure when this booking kind of happened. So the in the main event... You've got Lesnar without an opponent. It was then put in Nakamura, which made all the sense in the world in a way, just because like you get Nakamura in there against Lesnar. Yeah. And the idea was they wanted to build up Lesnar to then give his momentum again. This is gonna ring bells that you'll know. The idea was to build up Lesnar as this awesome like awesome beast, this huge beast to conquer, and eventually somebody down the line would beat him and take the championship and all that all of that momentum of conquering the beast and take that with him. It's like, oh, my, mm, where do I recognise that from? Mm. Difference was, that was the plan, and they were going to do it. <laughs> so that was the idea. Unfortunately, we don't, we can't. The comparisons end there because Lesnar walked out in June. So uh, <laughs> it's like it would be interesting. It would have been interesting to know if Lesnar apparently he was owed money. Uh, Lesnar decided he was owed money, and so for like after the negotiations were getting more and more tough, he just no showed. But of course, from New Japan's point of view. He, he they'd contracted him to do something and he no-showed. And that's when they stripped him of the title and they did a tournament. But anyway, at the Wrestle Kingdom, at this first show where Lesnar's still champion, he gets given Nakamura, which means what happens to Tanahashi. Because this is about Tanahashi. I know the last ten minutes has been <laughs> trying to describe... I'll have to do that now and then. Just the outside world, just to make sure you've got what on earth's going on. Tanahashi would face Katsuyori Shibata, who had left, as I just pointed out, in 2005... And here he is re- representing a wrestler known a wrestler a wrestling company known as Big Mouth Loud. As far as I know, he helped in the founding of it, but they wouldn't run many shows and be dead by the end of the year. Which <laughs> is like, oh, that's a bit sad. But either way, I think part of that was because he left to do MMA stuff anyway. But this had heat to it, of his course, because t- Katsuyori Shibata had left. But it wasn't that too long ago anyway. So Shibata was one of those who was pushed by Noki to be like because of his MMA background, but he had the young line development and there was something different about him. There was an aura about Katsuyoshi Better. Speak to any of his fans about his like second run in New Japan after he returned in the teens. I don't want to call this decade the teens. When he returned in the teens and he put on some amazing performances. Talk to anybody who's a fan of him today and it's just that thing of he has this aura about him. There is something different. He's not just a MMA guy who happens to be good at certain MMA things and that helps for wrestling. There is a certain aura about the man. <laughs> so that came to show here, where Tanahashi, and he lost to Nakamura and he was kind of had something to show after he had a you know, decent uh, like New Japan Cup run. If it might, he beat Nakanishi in 2005, I think. And then he got mauled by Vegeta in the G1, and that just stalled his momentum completely. Uh, and he... This was kind of him growing back. And he lost to Shibata. Uh, where it was Tanahashi showing his spirit and his and his fights to keep on going. However, Shibata seemed to KO him with one of his kicks. 
like watching this match, you just go oof, oof <laughs> at the kicks by Shibata, and eventually one of them just ends him, which meant that Tanahashi had now lost to both of his co-musketeers, which is kind of a sad state for him. Uh, but in this period, New Japan were doing a lot of work with other promotions. As I said, it, it wasn't it was interpromotional stuff happened all the time, and this time they were working with a company in the United States where it was. Total non-stop action is <laughs> where the TNA hits Hiroshi Tanahashi. So, if you don't know it, I find it kind of fascinating that this happened. <laughs> but uh, in th- in, at Final Destination 2006, Hiroshi Tanahashi wrestled AJ Styles. It's like the third match in the show, and it's like a, it's a fine match. It feels like the match that was booked to be the third match in the show, <laughs> I'll be honest. But it's really weird, because it's Tanahashi and AJ Styles... In 2006, it's it's really weird. Like if you've got, uh, I forgot what TNA thing's called, but or Impact's thing. But the, yeah, it's on there, and it's really weird. It's interesting to watch. <laughs> Tanahashi and AJ Styles in a actual match in TNA 2006. Uh. However, Tanahashi, we don't really get to see. It. I think he had like one match on their Explosion show, which was a like their sub show, not the main show, because that was called Impact, right? <laughs> I think that was called Impact. Yeah. So. Uh, he had like two matches in TNA before immediately getting called back because essentially trouble up mill. So you got the issue. Uh, Nakamura went to America in 2005, 2006, like to put on some muscle mass. Uh, apparently, he did that at uh, either Lesnar's home or a gym with Lesnar or training with Lesnar or something. So he went to America to put on some muscle mass, um, and of course Lesnar ended up leaving New Japan. So Tanahashi was built up, and he got this. He ended up building momentum and getting a. Eventually, getting a match against Lesnar, like the New Japan Cup, he put in a decent showing, but lost in the semi-finals to Nagata. But he was still building up momentum. And by June, because New Japan Cup, I think is like April, and maybe the person gets the shot in May. But by June, Tanahashi was the challenger. I don't know if he was a lower key challenger to give Lesnar momentum. I don't know if this was the moment they were going to give that momentum to a wrestler. But again, the point might have been aiming for a Wrestle Kingdom for that, probably. Either way, Lesnar no showed. So that meant that like, Tanahashi's opportunity had got on it and it was taken away just like that, just because Lesnar went. Yeah. You will never see Lesnar again. And if I'm right, none of Lesnar's matches are on New Japan World. I don't know if that's kind of to do with how uh, like the copyright of your image works in Japan. Because I think, if I'm right, you own your image to you. And if you don't want to be used, then they can't use you. I think, it's as, I think that's how it works. That might be completely wrong. But that creates problems for things like streaming services because you have to get in contact with everybody. And if that bomb person goes no, or they're contracted to a different promotion, like I think has happened with the TNA stuff with New Japan, where quite a lot of the matches are missing, and I think that might be because of TNA streaming service or Impact streaming service, whatever it's called. I don't know if because the matches wanted to be on there with their wrestlers in Japan, or if it's because they said, no, you can't use our wrestlers, we want to use them on I don't know how it works. <laughs> Either way, they've not... They were, like, it's perfectly fine for WWE wrestlers, but the Lesnar thing was a bit... was a, like a proper breakup, so I don't know if he's allowed them. And the other reason why there's so many stuff missing from the uh, from like this decade in particular is a lot of it aired on television, and those TV stations run reruns and things, and they own the shows, so they have to get them off the television stations... And like, New Japan is not WWE. They do not have millions and millions to throw around. <laughs> so, yeah. So TV, like, especially, because apparently that's an issue with All Japan, who were talking about opening their own streaming service. But 
a lot of the All Japan stuff is owned by a certain TV company. So, like, <laughs> a lot of stuff's going to be missing. So, there's a little lesson on Japanese law that I've had to figure out. <laughs> like, why is Lesnar not on New Japan? <laughs> and it led down a rabbit hole. Uh, anyway, so suddenly they don't have a champion because they fu- Lesnar's gone. I don't, he's, well, he's walked out. And uh, he took the championship with him and things that led to another interesting thing down the line, which I'll get to in time. So, what happened was they held a tournament, of which uh, Tanahashi, like, suddenly, he had the opportunity, taken away from him, but now he can get it back if he can just fight through this tournament. And he did, he made it to the finals, as did a wrestler called Giant Bernard, or Bernard, if you're being posh. <laughs> I've been calling him Giant Bernard, I don't, in my head, <laughs> I don't know why. Uh, anyway, that's uh, current NXT trainer Matt Bloom, a.k.a. Albert, a.k.a. Tenzai, a.k.a. the best gimmick of the most sexy tea. He made it to the finals. Uh, he had great success in Japan. That's why he came back to WWE as Tenzan, Tenzai. Sorry. Tenzai. <laughs> that's why he came back as Tenzai. It's because he was having such great success as Giant Bernard. They thought, we'll, we'll bring him back, but we can't call him Giant Bernard because that's not a name that's going to work in WWE. <laughs> Hence, Tenzai was born. Oh, that was shit. <laughs> anyway, Tanahashi has a bit of a... With his, he had a New Japan Cup match a couple of years back against Nakanishi, and he u- seemed to use his experience against a bigger man to perfection here. But Bernard ha- ended up having to use dirty tactics when the uh, likes of Tyson Tomko... Yes, Tyson Tomko was with Giant Bernard. I think they were in a stable called CTU, which I've not really looked into, but they were part of the same stable. And uh, he ended up cheating and using Tyson Tomko to like get a steel chair in and try and use that, but that backfired. And Tanahashi used his fighting spirit and overcame the bigger man and became champion. He defeated Giant Bernard and he won his first ever IWGP Heavyweight Championship. And since then, it very quickly turned into Tanahashi growing and growing and growing as the champion or in that spot, essentially. That over time, he'd. It's a little while away from his like epic long defence. I think that's 2011 that that happens. Or 2011. Whichever country you're from, I hope you pronounce it. But there is, that is, it is happening. He is getting that momentum in this kind of spot. And this was like the first crowning moment. And in September, he would then defeat Tenzan. I don't know how long, how long he'd been out or anything. But of course, this was a huge statement for it. And then he... Had to defend against Nakamura. So Nakamura returned at the end of the year. However, it was kind of clear that Nakamura wasn't entirely in the groove and Tanahashi beat him. Uh, Again, I can't find that match, so I don't know how good it was. (laughs) But it happened. (laughs) So I guess that's the thing. However, that then meant that Tanahashi was going to walk into Wrestle Kingdom as champion. And the man he'd lost against in the 2005 Wrestle Kingdom, he'd just beaten. (laughs) Which is a very important confidence boost for Tanahashi heading into the Tokyo Dome in 2007. And it's, I'm going to take an ad break now. <laughs> I'm realising I'm reaching an hour, so I'm going to take an ad break where I drink some water. <laughs> Hopefully, I'll come back a lot more clearer. But I'm going to slowly reach my point. <laughs> this Danahashi thing. Hopefully, I don't go on for another hour. I might try and wrap up in 30 minutes. Yeah. I'll take an ad break. <laughs> you can tell that I need my drink. <laughs> See you in about 30 seconds or so. And I'm back, ready for Hiroshi Tanahashi Part 2. Uh, a little reminder, next week I am live with Burn at AEST. I'll say it towards the end of the show, but yes, doing this huge story is fatiguing me. <laughs> so I'll see how well it goes. Yeah, anyway, 
2007. This is the year Vessel Kingdom is born. So that's why I took a break there. <laughs> so it kind of works out that Tanahashi, over time, would become Mr. Vessel Kingdom. And it kind of it does start here with a, a strong defence. But Vessel Kingdom, as it was born, is not the Vessel Kingdom it was today. And the Tokyo Dome show had gone through a few different names under Anoki. So this was like a new branding under the Ukes brand of the Vessel Kingdom. There wasn't much time between them buying in December or finalising the deal in December in November, sorry, and then getting to January. Like there were wasn't really much they could change in terms of the branding of it. But one year later, it was named Vessel Kingdom. Interesting pub fact, because it yeah, it's that level of interest. I don't know that that's not a phrase in America. A pub fact like for a a random small fact for a pub quiz. Which is a quiz you do in a I don't know how that translates to America. <laughs> so yeah, so an interesting pub <laughs> pub fact. Uh, Hiroshi Tanahashi, not Hiroshi Tanahashi, I just read his name off the screen. I meant to read the word next to it, which <laughs> Vessel Kingdom. <laughs> Absolute pro podcast to me. Uh, so Vessel Kingdom at first wasn't a New Japan thing. So And Yukes had already, as I said before, they'd already done some stuff with uh, different wrestling companies. One of those companies that Yukes had worked with was All Japan where they made a video game for them, a wrestling video game for All Japan Pro Wrestling, and that game was called Wrestle Kingdom. And that, I don't know when that came out, either 05 or 06. And so uh, this upcoming January 4th Tokyo Dome event was branded as New Japan versus All Japan. So most of, most of not all of the matches are New Japan wrestlers versus All Japan wrestlers, and they thought, oh, well, why not name it Wrestle Kingdom? The name fits. And thus it was born. <laughs> Wrestle Kingdom, it was born because it was a, a video game. Yes. It's a, yeah. When I described that, I was like, actually that sounds very Japanese. <laughs> it makes sense <laughs> in all of that. Either way, Tanahashi would be the champion. And so the decision was he'd face All Japan's champion, who was at the time uh, Taiyo Kea. I think I'm saying that. I'm not, he's, he's Hawaiian and I'm English. I... I Therefore, I struggle with all foreign names. <laughs> That's the thing. Um, anyway, so he had a strong match. Sorry, Kia was champion early in the year, but he dropped the title. And uh, Yuji Nagata, f- he dropped the title to Minoru Suzuki, who ended up facing Nagata for that title in a different match. So Tanahashi faced Kia. And they had a really strong match, and he's he's quite impressed me, Kier, actually. He's one of those where, at the start, I wasn't sure, then by the end of the match, I was like, actually, yeah, he impressed me. Uh, there's one spot where he pulled the mat over and on the outside and delivered a falcon arrow to Tanahashi on the concrete. It's like, oh, no. <laughs> I was waving my hands in, like, the no, the pain. <laughs> but, for me, this, in terms of like, the overall arc of Tanahashi, this was, like, the first showing of, like, genuine, like, that should take him out. But he's different now. Having winning the championship, he's feeling the pressure of he needs to show up and defend New Japan. Not just New Japan's honour, but like the company itself to help build it up. He needs to come out on top of it. And that's exactly what we see here. His fighting spirit like, brings him back and he knocks down KO and he hits a high five flow. And that's that. Yeah, so, but also, if you're watching on New Japan, that's the first time you'll see his signature move in 2007 at Wrestle Kingdom, the high five flow. First time you'll see it. Oh, I completely forgot to say, when Tanahashi was getting ready to face Lesnar, that's when like the under thirty championship was like just disbanded, done. Yeah. <laughs> also, this was Tanahashi's first win since he defended his U thirty championship back in two thousand and four. <laughs> so, like, yeah, Tanahashi at Wrestle at Tokyo Dome it took a little while to get going. He would become the man, like Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania, but it took some time. 
I guess kind of like Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania, actually, think about it. Because <laughs> it was a tag team and they didn't win much at <laughs> WrestleMania as well, I don't know. Ah. Anyway, so 2007 was Tanahashi as champion and it meant a lot, really, in terms of like building his character and pushing him forward as a potential top star of the future. He was really becoming a top guy at this point, if not already there, if not for the fact that the past generation was still there. So, and of course they'd been screwed over on doing Noki, but they were the names and Tanahashi was a... He was at that point where it started to feel like he was pretty much he pretty much was a top guy, but he's he's um, um, like he's just entered, so he's new to top guy. Dumb. <laughs> That's not a phrase. Yeah, I swear there's a Dewey Dewey comparison again, but I can't think what it is. Uh, either way, Tenahashi would have to uh, properly defend his title now in New Japan. Uh, he'd 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 successfully helped New Japan on that stage uh, or at the All Japan New Japan event. But now he had to properly prove his champion material, and he'd already held the tail, held the title for a little while. But this was like properly now. <laughs> you are entering difficult times. That year's New Japan Cup winner was Yuji Nagata. Two words. Ah, shit. <laughs> so Yuji Nagata is an amazing wrestler, and at this point in his career, he kind of felt like he lost some momentum of the Inoki era, in spite of the fact that he was an amazing wrestler. And at this point in his career, he's like, no, I'm going to go out and prove I am the best wrestler. And that's what he would do, pretty much. He would go out there, and he would try and wrestle the best matches, and he'd get that moniker of the best wrestler in the world. And that's what he'd try and build. So, Tanahashi is champion. However, Yuji Nagata, with that kind of push in his mental uh, kind of way he was addressing this year, Yuji Nagata arguably had the greatest in-ring uh, year of his career. Not good for Tanahashi. So he faced him in April after Yuji Nagata had won the New Japan Cup. And Nagata was the favourite with all the momentum. Tanahashi, for the first time really, was getting a fair amount of booze. And Nagata was the one the crowd wanted to win. And he was just oozing with this determination. There was something about him. There was this aura about Nagata where he was focused. He was in. And he, yes, he destroyed Tanahashi. Not destroyed, that's not right. He beat Tanahashi. And... Like, as I said earlier, Nagata was shining... Oh, I didn't say that earlier. I meant to. <laughs> Nagata was shining really bright in this match. And he um, hit two suplexes on Tanahashi. And the second one... Hold... I don't know if it was his Exploder 8. I feel like a, a suplex where he drops him really high in the head, but I can't remember what it's called. Um, Tanahashi lost to two of those with the second one holding on. And... The interesting part about the dome match for me was you hear, like, Tanashi, Tanashi. You hear that chant in the crowd, but tonight, no. When he was getting booze and it was all Nagata, and it was a very interesting change from January to reach to April, where it was such a <laughs> shift of things. But of course, it's like crowd to crowd, it kind of changes as well. So, Yuji Nagata was champion. And after how amazingly his year was going, also, I will say, um, uh, Suzuki vs Nagato is probably worth a watch as well <laughs> from that Wrestle Kingdom I bought it up but I didn't say anything about it uh, so either way semi-finals of the G1 Climax Yuji Nagata was the favourite he was having an amazing year normally in the G1 Climax champion doesn't win as far as I know he's been like once or maybe not. it's just not often the champion just doesn't win the G1 Climax because it's one of the things uh, you see that scenario of, oh what if they do win though it's like yeah it's wrestling this is all predetermined and booked. <laughs> so it's not a, oh no, what if he accidentally wins? No, that's not a thing. <laughs> he can't accidentally win. <laughs> well, as I've said about, obviously, that's uh, 
yeah, the Temzan versus Kojima thing where he did accidentally win. The point being, with the G1 with the tournament, it's not going to happen. <laughs> the likelihood of that. It has to be an extraordinary circumstance like the Tenzan Kojima thing. <laughs> but it did happen. Either way, semi-finals, Yuji Nagata facing Shinsuke Nakamura and Hiroshi Tanahashi faced Togi Makabe. Uh, so, Togi Makabe, at this point, is the GBH leader. Uh, Tenzan invented the group. Toge, to, toge, Togi, <laughs> it's an I, not an E. Uh, Togi Makabe kicked him out and he became the leader, and uh, under his leadership, the Great Bash Hill became the heel stable in New Japan for like the next like, three years or so, until a certain other one came about. <laughs> so uh, so that happened for like that kind of era. And Togi Makabe was on fire. For these next three years, or f- like three, four years, he is a staple in this area of the G1 Climax. He is in this every semi-final, just like Nakamura, just like Nagasa. Makabe's right up with them in this era. And yeah, he's really stood up to the plate as this King Kong beast. I think one of his nicknames is the Unchained Gorilla. And like, yes, he was a force to be reckoned with at this point. And Tanahashi was coming back from his first neck. I don't know if he had neck surgery, but he definitely had a neck injury. So he was taking took some like between the Nagata match and now. Yeah, I think he took some time off to heal, which yeah, gives <laughs> a man like Makabe. However, again, Tanahashi tournament setting, big man, he turns up. And did that here against Togi Makabe. This would prove to be a bit of a kryptonite for Makabe with Tanahashi at the G1. But here, yes, well done for Tanahashi. Uh, ha- after the match, though, Togi Makabe hit him. He wrapped his, I uh, say the unchained gorilla, he's got a chain round him as well. And he wrapped the chain round his uh, forearm and then whacked him with a lariat from behind. Uh, Tanahashi went down. And then young lion Tetsuya Naito helped into the back. Important for future. <laughs> so that's what happened there. Um... Which meant this task was really difficult. Then there's a reason in the column I started talking about Nakamura and Nagata. That match is bloody brilliant. <laughs> uh, interestingly, from 2007 onwards, again, I've made it to 2010, so I don't know about uh, 20... I've not got to 2011's G1 Climax yet. But the entire show of the G1 is uploaded. That, that, that final, sorry, the G1... Because the G1 is like a month on tournament, but the final, the entire show is uploaded from like 2007 onwards. So... Yeah, check them out if you can. It's yeah, a nice feel for that era and things, and you get to see commentator Milano be Neo from The Matrix. Oh, yeah, he was a Dragon Gate wrestler, so yeah. <laughs> Fancy stuff. <laughs> uh, anyway, that's a tangent. Yeah, so Nagata Nakamura had an amazing hard-hitting match. Like, you genuinely feel it. <laughs> and as I said, again in the column, the match only ended because Nakamura dislocated his shoulder. Which, it tells you about the match. <laughs> where they were having such a fantastic physical match that he genuinely dislocated his shoulder. <laughs> and that's the only reason the match ended. I don't know what the original planned finish was. I don't know if Nakamura... It meant to be Nakamura Tanahashi in their, like a, their first G1 Climax final together. Either way, Tanahashi would now face Nagata. The very man <laughs> who he'd lost against... Lost the title against uh, those few months ago. And the man who was the favourite to win the tournament... Feck. <laughs> Tanahashi won. Bloody hell. Ah. <laughs> so uh, the, the key point to me was uh, Tanahashi did a uh, fi- high fly flow to Nagata on the outside. Uh, he was like lying on the ground, kind of tired, and Tanahashi hit a high fly flow off the top. Not the best idea, as when he landed with his elbows afterwards, he bashed it real hard on the mat and his elbow began to bleed. Which is when yeah, T- Nagata, like, they very wisely like, brought that up a bit. But my favourite part was then after that, because he cut his elbow open doing that. 
Uh, my favourite part was Nagata slapped him and he slapped him so hard that the blood from the elbow of Tanahashi then sprayed over the chest of Nagata. <laughs> Just like, you know your match has been physical when that happens. <laughs> Nagata slaps you and your elbow blood sprays onto him because <laughs> of the force of it. <laughs> so, physical match it was. But Tanahashi won. He nailed the hi-fi flow. He was able to get in. And he, four years after his, sorry, three years after his first final, he finally defeated somebody and he wasn't the gatter was it <laughs> no it was Denzan uh, he finally won the G1 Climax so and again as I said that's not a Tokyo Dome thing that's an October thing and he'd have to face the champion Nagata's the champion <laughs> so now they're one on one so suddenly ah shit still ah shit so Tanahashi and Nagata had another really good match on like, that explosion. Uh, we'll say uh, this trilogy is really highly regarded, but the first match where Nagata beats Tanahashi, that's not on New Japan World, unfortunately. Um, you can search for it yourself elsewhere, but it's not, uh, the ones on New Japan World are the G1 Climax, because the entire show's on, and their match at New Japan Pro Wrestling Explosion, all capitals, 2007. <laughs> so uh, that's where Nagata defended his championship against Tanahashi, and Nagata had his old injured knee and Tanahashi had his injured neck and the two targeted both of those areas which is kind of like the pattern of if you hit me in the neck I'm then going to hit you in the knee and we're both going to hobble <laughs> which then led to the ending uh, both of them went like up to up to it to all that point where they were both like really groggy and the targeting the thing but when they hit their big move they then have to clutch the part of them that was hurting so Tanahashi hit a suplex he grabbed his neck Nagata hit a suplex, he grabbed his knee. <laughs> it's a rinse and repeat, and it just becomes that battle of who's got the greater fighting spirit. The answer? Hiroshi Tanahashi. Oh. For me, the interesting part here is Tanahashi, he's wearing what I would call the Young Line gear. I, don't, I, I didn't look up why he was wearing this, but it was just black trunks, black boots. He had a bit of a pattern on his butt, maybe it said Tanahashi. Cause normally he has like power production written on with a man doing like a muscle pose. So yeah, a man with power production written on his ass. <laughs> so he, uh, yeah, so that was interesting to see that kind of look, and it really comes into his play. I don't know if that was on purpose for what was about to happen, but Tanahashi won, and he kind of tried to dictate the match a bit, where Nagasa, uh, where he'd been like Nagasa trying to do stuff, and Tanahashi would outsmart him and athleticize him. <laughs> That's not a word. That would do that kind of thing. In this match, Tanahashi from the get-go was like the dictator of the pace, and that seemed to pay off, especially with the slightly older veteran. Uh, Tanahashi won the championship, and now he was very likely to go to Wrestle Kingdom as champion. Except for one thing. So after his... Um, this is also on the video of New Japan World, where they interviewed him after winning the championship, and they pretty much asked him... I think I've got what the guy said. Again, my Japanese isn't great. I think they were asking him... Uh, kind of what champion he was going to be what he wanted to be known as one of those two and he said sexy champion <laughs> it's just like the other guy just, just like he seems to want to announce it just like ah, sexy champion death <laughs> it's just really made me laugh <laughs> and the crowd got a good laugh out of himself him calling himself sexy champion it's like Tanahashi you know he's of a certain kind of aura when he can call himself the sexy champion and get away with it <laughs> not many people can do that <laughs> Uh, but him saying that was kind of him recognising something. Like him either recognising his talent or how great he was. And you really saw that in his next defence. 
which came against Hiroki Goto. So Goto had been in Mexico on his excursion. Uh, he'd returned and he'd been uh, beating people left and right, building his momentum really nicely. Then he got a title shot against Tanahashi in November. Like More likely than not, he's not going to win, but it's a good experience for a guy building momentum. The interesting part for me is when Tanahashi walks out. So the screen capture I've done is just him doing his muscle pose in the ring, about to pop open his shirt and then take it off. Uh, it's, it's really cool. <laughs> I feel really sad that I can't pop open shirts with my pecs. <laughs> I am not that fit. But Tanahashi, um, there's something about him. He, he is, without a doubt, the heel in this. Like He knows how good he is. And his entire entrance, this is where he's now dancing to the ring, where he's showing off and saying, look how great I am. And the crowd boo him. <laughs> they boo him good. Uh, I will say, you know, um, in terms of like a recommended watch list, this was my favourite match from this era. Like Even though like the, the Ghetto matches were fantastic hard-hitting ones, I would say this one is full of so much character from Tanahashi. It's amazing. From October to now, it's incredible. That's, that's why I say, like, if you're going to watch this match, because I highly recommend you watch this match, at least watch the match where Tanahashi wins the championship. That's not the best of the Nagata Tanahashi ones. I prefer the G1 one. However, the change of character and the look and everything it is so drastic <laughs> that it's kind of need to watch them back to back. And uh, this one is full of so much character from Tanahashi, and it is such a dick. <laughs> That's the thing as well. Like he was opportunistic. He was he had some form of like viciousness to him, and he was cocky as well. He was just he was an absolute dick, and it was fantastic. <laughs> I I loved this match for what Tanahashi kind of was at this point. Tanahashi as a Tanahashi's character as a heel worked perfectly. Like he knew how good he was, and in a way, even when Goto was on top, it felt like Tanahashi had some form of control. But the thing that ended the match was Tanahashi's control, like did come into play. Where it was like him being a dick was in a way trying to get into Goto's head, and it worked. Like Goto started throwing cr- closed fists. Goto was trying to hit big move after big move to get him pinned, and Tanahashi, it was still Tanahashi, and he still had that fighting spirit where he would kick out, and Goto seemed to lose sight of that, and that's when he capitalised. Oh, he also kicked Go- Goto in the balls, so that probably didn't help. He pulled a Nakamura, <laughs> he kicked his opponent in the balls. Uh, but yeah, one high flow flow, followed by Texas Cloverleaf. Oh, the important point, Tanahashi had worked on the leg, and Goto's frustration kind of made him just not be defending that point. Tanahashi took full effect and then he hit the high five flow to the legs and turned it into a Texas Cloverleaf. But an amazing match. Highly recommend you watch it. But that leads into Tokyo Dome 2008 where he faces Shinsuke Nakamura. And this is interesting. Tanahashi is still a heel. He's still dickhead Tanahashi, look how great I am. And Nakamura has, over the past year, started to click. So again, he was pushed immediately and there was obviously some talent there but there was no character. It's like it's it's Nakamura. You can see it's him, and he's got some of the wrestling things down. But like, like character-wise, there's nothing. And 2008 is really where you kind of maybe start to see things fall in place. Like instead of wearing shirt, like black shorts, he's now wearing red tights, wrestling tights. Uh, it's like phase one of Nakamura transforming. <laughs> like 2009 is really the year it started to happen, but 2008, yeah, it's kind of beginning a little bit. Uh, and Tanahashi walks in as champion. As I said, though, it, Tanahashi Wrestle Kingdom and Tanahashi beating Nakamura, it took some time. Nakamura, once again, finished off Tanahashi, and it was his neck that did it in. I think that's the story they were talking about in the match. 
because Nakamura hits a pop-up tombstone and he hits his new finisher, a landslide, where he's hit it in uh, WWE, where he pops them off the shoulders, lifts them forward and onto the back. But I think he hit, kind of the idea is to hit it slightly high, or you can at least pretend it's been hit high and you hold your neck. Uh, so it was Tanahashi's neck in the end. Uh, kind of, yeah, so he hit the landslide off the top, and that was it. He was out after that. Yeah, Tanahashi, uh, sorry, Nakamura then hit the landslide for the second time. Well, uh, yeah, because that was Goto's mistake, was hit big move, go for the pin. Well, Nakamura's like, no, I'm going to hit the big move, then I'm going to hit it again, then I'm going to pin you. And it worked. Nakamura had won the championship, and Tanahashi had once again lost against one of the musket- fellow musketeers at Wrestle Kingdom. Yeah. 2008 would become a building year for Hiroshi Tanahashi. But it would bloody work really damn well. Also in this year, as I said later, I said I would bring back Lesnar. Lesnar was the WGP champion. However, he then left the promotion or whatever. Antonio Inoki started his own promotion around this time. After he left New Japan, he called it IGF. I didn't look into what it stands for. <laughs> and he's, in the promotion, it was said that Lesnar was still the recognised IWGP champion. So in his first defence, he faced TNA wrestler Kurt Angle. And Kurt Angle defeated Lesnar. And you would see the IWGP championship in TNA. Again, this is it's weird to... I don't remember any of this. <laughs> I was watching at this point, <laughs> and I don't remember any of it. But Kurt Angle turns up in TNA, having beaten Brock Lesnar for the IWGP championship on a show that wasn't about New Japan. It's weird. <laughs> anyway, so at Wrestle Kingdom 2, where Nakamura faced Tanahashi, uh, Kurt Angle faced Yuji Nagata in a like the best of uh, well, the two best wrestlers in the world facing off each other. Again, I think because Ang- this is like maybe something to do with TNA or Impact or something, or not getting a picture from Angle or something, this match is not on New Japan World. But it is about. It's in places. So, uh, Kurt Angle defeated Lesnar. Kurt Angle then defeated Nagata. Then, in February... I can't really say it. Shinsuke Nakamura and Kurt Angle had a We Are Both the Champion Let's Face Each Other match. <laughs> so an epic clash between Nakamura and Angle. Then Nakamura defeated Kurt Angle, and that is how he've got the current New Japan Championship. That New Japan Championship... I think for a little time it was called the third champion, IWGP third championship or something, so it wasn't formally recognised until for a little while. But it is kind of that. It's, it's an odd thing where that championship was born somewhere else, but its lineage before it goes to the Nakamura is not recognised. It's an odd thing. But that's the championship you've got today in New Japan, is that fancy one, that awesome looking one. Uh, again, when, that's the interesting thing. When Angle turned up with it in TNA, that wasn't New Japan's championship. <laughs> it's really weird. Uh, anyway, so uh, Tanahashi then, in February, at the same month all this is happening, he has a contract dispute with New Japan. And he he's, he's advantage of that. And he wrestles for All Japan Pro Wrestling in their champion carnival. And he goes in as like this top heel, because he's still a dickhead. He's all doing that. And he gets put into like a group of death. Uh, kind of like he's this top heel and he's from this evil other territory and they put him in a thing with all of their top stars and he put uh, he puts in an awesome performance so good for him anyway at this point sorry I completely forgot he still wrestled in the New Japan Cup where he uh, defeats Giant no does he defeat Giant Bernard I'm an idiot <laughs> yes he won the New Japan Cup then he went to face Nakamura, who beat him again <laughs> for that one. And after the New Japan Cup, 
that is when he doesn't have a contract he doesn't have his championship because he lost to Shinsuke in the match afterwards like it's just yeah it was up and down for him at this point also at this point is where a bitter war kind of took over so in, in Tanahashi's absence New Japan the top of the card especially entered a very not great state so Makabe's Great Bash heel started properly feuding with Nakamura's Rise which was a kind of side off group for another one I think they were called Black all capitals which was Chono's one, and then Rai's, uh, Nakamura, when Nakamura was in that stable, and then Nakamura took over and called it Rai's, but it wasn't like a heel takeover, it was just uh, Chono's old, I'm going to take over now, and he branded, rebranded it Rise. It get rebranded again, <laughs> in like a year's time, but at this point the faction is called Rise. Oh, that's easy to remember at midnight. <laughs> so, yeah, so, the, uh, so it's Great Bash Heel, or GBH, versus Rise. And that would spill over into the G1 Climax final. And the kind of it would build and build and build. And the second half of the year was pretty much New Japan. New Rise kind of teaming up with New Japan wrestlers versus Great Bash Heel. Because they were like the heel stable. And it was, they were versus each other. And Nakamura got entangled in that. And he, he began to hate Makabe. And he would get warped out in that over the next year. But distracted in kind of all of this... Keiji Muto then defeated <laughs> defeated Nakamura. I was laughing because I was trying to find my place because I lost it and it worked. Yeah, so Keiji Muto defeated Nakamura. Just all Nakamura kind of all distracted or whatever. Whatever the reason, he let New Japan down in a way. And then Hiroko Goto, who was kind of teaming up with Nakamura and Rise and whatnot. He, I think he's one of the guys in Rise. He, I think the idea was like young upcoming stars with lots of hearts. So Goto and Nakamura made all the sense in the world. But then Goto got to Makabe in the finals and he was having to fight the odds of Great Bash Hill and he was all bloody. He's got a bandage wrapped around his head and he won. Goto was able to fight the odds. Uh, but his title match, because Nakamura had lost the title to Keiji Muto, Keiji Muto was one of the wrestlers that Tanahashi faced in the AGPW Champion Carnival, which is kind of like their G1 in a way, just to make it simple to compare. Keiji Muto is one of those wrestlers. He was an all-Japan wrestler and he defeated Nakamura for the championship. And then the G1 Climax winner, Hiroki Goto, he got his opportunity on an all-Japan show. So the G1 Climax winner, their title match didn't even happen on a New Japan show. Again, looking at it today, mental. <laughs> so weird. But then... So then uh, Tanahashi, he kind of came back towards the end of the year. Keiji Muto, this legend, the guy who was his sensei, he was the champion. Everything comes full circle. And in the AGPW Champion Carnival, Tanahashi faced Keiji Muto and they had a 30-minute draw. At the end of the match, Muto was about to hit a moonsault and with Tanahashi down, he was about to jump and that's when the time limit bell hit. And we never know what's going to happen. What was about to happen there? Oh. Tanahashi would use that spot later. It's awesome. Anyway, so I, as I said, way at the start of the show, Tanahashi was, a, was the rookie, essentially, under Keiji Muto. Six years later, the student is about to take on the master at Wrestle Kingdom. In what would become a passing of the torch moment, Hiroshi Tanahashi faced Keiji Muto for the championship. We got a hell of a lot of dragon screw leg whips, uh, which were kind of like Keiji Muto. They're one of Keiji Muto's like key things. So we got dragon screw leg whips. We got loads of other dragon screw things. Uh, we got working of the leg. <laughs> just, just yes, if you like ground work and dragon screws, oh, you'll love this match. Uh, but 
it was a passing of the torch moment from Keiji Muto to Tanahashi. And yeah, it was, after this match, Tanahashi was the ace. And it was that was the moment that it finally happened, was that match. But, as I said, Tanahashi defeated... Again, there's not much to say about that match, it's fine. But the, mo- the interesting part is Keiji Muto laying down for his former student and Tanahashi becoming the ace of New Japan, officially from this moment. This is when it starts, <laughs> January 2009. He is now the ace, and he's the IWGP champion. But this isn't his long title reign either. <laughs> the things happen. Like, I will just say, I'm currently one and a half hours in. I want to be wrapping up soon, and all I've done is reach the end of the first column. <laughs> I was warned it would take three hours to do all this. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to get to Okada, I'm not far away, <laughs> really, because I'm going to scan through. As I said, I've only made it to 2011. Okada's 2012. I'm half a year away from him. Right, so 2009, he is now the ace. And then he defends the championship against Shinsuke Nakamura the next month. And it's after that match where he calls himself the ace of the universe. He proclaims, he proclaims that, and that's when that nickname is born. And he really is the ace now. But after that... Kurt Angle walks out. That's right, we get Tanahashi Angle. Bloody feck yes. <laughs> Not on New Japan World, I am sorry. <sighs> but it's out there. So Tanahashi Angle have this have a nice little classic, and Tanahashi wins, again, upping his kind of status. Then, oh, I'm just moving something about, because I'm bloody realising things happening. Anyway, so that happens. However, in this point as well, Nakamura and his fight with um, Togi Makabe really gets a bit more toxic and it continues to build <sighs> so this kind of got bigger and bigger and bigger and finally at a show called Resolution which is the same show that Tanahashi faced Angle in the main event we also got Shinsuke Nakamura versus Togi Makabe and we got like Toru Yano versus Goto and they're kind of like this is the final rise versus a GBH kind of thing that's going to happen and they and they had the whole tangle and the match and yes <laughs> So um, Togi Makabe attacks Shinsuke Nakamura on the ramp, and it's yeah chaos from there on in. However, that was a slip of the tongue. <laughs> However, uh, Togi Makabe um, ends up losing because, in a sudden twist, Nakamura had become more twisted mentally in the head than we had originally realised. He is his mind is warped, his anger has blinded him. Whatever you want to say it, his hatred has consumed him. <laughs> but he ends up. It ends up being revealed that Shinsuke Nakamura has scooped, aside from to, uh, uh, Togi Makabe's best friend Tomaraki Homna, he has uh, Shinsuke Nakamura has poached every single member of GBH and brought them over to his own stable. They were Toro Yano doing the Jeff Hardy spot <laughs> where he asks for the steel chair so he can hit the opponent, and then and then uh, Makabe's like, "Yeah, you take it, you can hit him," and then Toro Yano hits Togi instead. <laughs> turning on him and over the next month it was revealed that every single member had been poached apart from Homna so suddenly Makabe's against the odds and Shinsuke Nakamura is the leader of the top heel stable and they call themselves Chaos yes the faction that is still going today is like the top kind of like baby face <laughs> faction at this point number one heel faction time warps us all <laughs> yeah anyway so uh, with uh, Chaos, that is kind of 
uh, there with, sort of, with the hatred consumed. Um, I've got the names written down of everybody in there. There'll be Toriyano, Giant Bernard, Carl uh, Anderson, who was teaming with Bernard at the time, uh, Gado, Jado, Tamahiro Ishii, who had hair, uh, Takashi Yazuka, who's like the bold with the beard. He it was around this time that he got his uh, when he joined GBH, where he shaved his head and he got the beard, became like this monster type of thing. But they all turned. And with the with the kind of philosophy of uh, Nakamura saying that his aim was to uh, bring back that strong style, like you know that strong style of wrestling you hated in the Inoki era. Well, I think it's bloody brilliant, mate, and I'm bringing it back. <laughs> it was just I put a British twang on it, but that's pretty much what happened. So Nakamura at this point is kind of warped, and yeah. So as I said, this year. Tana- uh, Nakamura, you can see him getting kind of warped, but also Tanahashi, it's, this isn't the year that he gets his long streak. For, in the G1 Climax semi-final, he goes up against his rival Nakamura, and Nakamura hits his new move that he's brought back with his new strong style gimmick, because now he's doing his strong kicks. Again, the slow evolution of the Nakamura character. Now he's a heel, and he's using his strong style with his stiff kicks that he's incorporating, and he's got a new finisher called the Bamaye, which is in WWE called... Kinshasa! <laughs> Why did I say it like that? <laughs> I meant to just do a bit of a promote, uh, emphasis towards the end. Oh. But I wanted a cadence change, but not that. <laughs> anyway, Shizuke Nakamura hit the Bamaye. He did the landslide off the top again, but instead of doing another landslide, he did a Bamaye to uh, Tanashi's face. And that Bamaye gave him uh, like an orbital fracture, or like it broke his eye socket or something. <laughs> and Tanahashi was like, out for like three months. Recovering <laughs> from that, so Tana, so Nakamura advanced to the finals where he faced Makabe, but Makabe won, defeating Nakamura in a bit of a brawl of a match because that hatred is still consuming them both in a way. Um, Nakamura tried to show a sense of control because he won at Resolution and he's been on top of it since in a way. But Makabe came back and he defeated Nakamura. However, Tanahashi was injured and he was champion. Tanahashi was forced to vacate the title. So New Japan kind of wound out the clock and next month we got we got Nakamura versus Makabe. And Nakamura won. <laughs> Again they're able to down Makabe. Uh but it it was yes, this new style of Nakamura brought him to the top of the dance. Uh, once again he was top of the card. And by twenty ten, Tanahashi had returned, but he wasn't at full capacity yet. So he'd um Instead, get a match against Goshiyazaki because the the card was Noah versus New Japan, and uh, it was Nakamura in the main event with the championship, and Tanahashi not even in the semi-main. He had a match against Goshiyazaki, which fans were excited about, but that wasn't even the semi-main event. So it was the two title matches that were kind of headlined the show. So that kind of showed Nakamura because of what happened with his injury. Nakamura was the one to defend New Japan in the main event. And you could see that, yeah, he was the ace, but he wasn't in that spot. That would come into play a bit later on <laughs> down the line. So, over the course of this year, 2010, quite a lot happens for Tanahashi. So, he faces Goshizaki, of course, and he ends up winning, so he defends New Japan's honour again. Uh, however, Nakamura, the opponent he was facing, Takeyama, he said that if he won, he'd take the IWGP Championship away with him. And that's where Nakamura was... Yeah, he, he stood up. He defended New Japan. And it went, it went back to 2004. Because Nakamura won the champion, a championship from Takeyama. And uh, Nakamura, then the belt was dissolved then. 
So Takayama's like, I'm going to do the same to your title that you did to mine. <laughs> Again, six years have passed. <laughs> Sorry, so it's like six or 44, no, 2010. Yeah, six years have passed. So Nakamura... Again, that's why I mean why if something doesn't feel quite right in the moment, things get called back upon. <laughs> and that was six years between those two different things, and it gave so much gravitas to the match. Uh, but then we get to G1 Climax. Uh, Nakamura had lost the belt to Togi Makabe earlier in the year. Uh, Tanahashi was still kind of getting back onto his feet. Not really much happens to Tanahashi in this period. Uh, lots of tag matches. Obviously, it's New Japan. That, that was a stupid statement. <laughs> anyway... But then Tanahashi makes it to the G1 Climax final, I think, if I'm right. Yes, he does. <laughs> he makes it to the G1 Climax final. However, somebody has returned. That man's name is Satoshi Kojima, as I talked about earlier. That's why I told that story. Kojima comes back. <laughs> so he um, He's wrestling as a freelancer, but he'd, he'd injured his... You can see it in the match. He's got his uh, left elbow, I think, padded up. And that is the reason why he's not with All Japan, because he needed surgery on the elbow, was the thought. Already some time off to heal from it. And All Japan kind of second-guessed on the contract negotiations. And that is when Kojima looked elsewhere. Like, they, they hadn't finalised on any deals or made a decision yet, but he was like, well, I'm going to check elsewhere. You're second-guessing me. And I'm Kojima. <laughs> so that's what happened. And then Kojima ended up in New Japan specifically for the G1 Climax. I can't, can't breathe together those guys. Yeah, so Kojima and um, and oh, Tenzan kind of came back properly around this time as well because he'd been in all Japan fighting stuff. So again, I've not really followed it. <laughs> I'm doing a Tanahashi column. But either way, Kojima had come back and he was so popular uh, in, especially in the Ryogoku uh, Kokukikan. <laughs> God, oh. Ryogoku. Kaku Gikan. <laughs> I said that like a pro. Oh, it's like I've, it's like I hadn't been met, trying to say it earlier in the day, knowing I'd have to, <laughs> and I just completely forgot when it came to the show. I was like, oh shit, yeah, I'm gonna have to say it. Oh. But in Ryogoku, he was so popular on the night, and he faced Tanahashi in the final, and Tanahashi, uh, and Tanahashi and him had an amazing match, and in the end, like at one point, uh. uh Kojima hits a lariat. Sorry, Tanahashi's on the second rope in the corner, and uh, he's on. And Yuji, I can't say his name. Kojima is on the apron, and he hits a lariat, and Tanahashi does a backflip on the power. It's just like I love this match. <laughs> it's awesome. Um, yeah, so the man who is now on Twitter for the bread. <laughs> this is where the awesome Kojima kind of run started in New Japan in this kind of age. Uh, Kojima beat Tanahashi because. Uh, he, he was trying to down Tanahashi. He was having the same issue that others had in the past where he hits big move and tries to pin him. But because of his injured elbow, it took him a little bit more time to get to him. So it wasn't finishing him off. Then Kojima uh, was uh, like... Hitoshi Tanahashi got back up and he was fighting against Kojima. And then Kojima rebounded. When Tanahashi went for a sling blade, uh, Kojima rebounded with a lariat of his own, catching him before he could hit the sling blade, turning him inside out, and he got the three. Uh, and the crowd jump onto their feet. <laughs> it's one of those like he... They, he, they wanted him to win so bad. Tanahashi was getting some boos. Kojima was getting all the chance. And they jumped to their feet when Kojima wins. Uh, it's one of those awesome G1 moments. There's quite a few over the years. Just when that person gets the pin and the crowd are ecstatic. <laughs> this was one of those moments. Um, interestingly, that those crowd cheers wouldn't last for long. So he won the championship back uh, in October in his match. However, then it came to December. So in December... 
It was Machiavelli that, of course, they defeated, just to make that a note. In December, it had been kind of announced that it was going to be Kojima versus Tanahashi. And Kojima then started to build his own stable. I think this was. I think the stable happened after the announcement, I'm not entirely sure. So he starts to build his stable, and this stable is called Kojima Office. And in that stable, he brings in... The first one, first member is a young lion who's just come back from Mexico. His name is Tai Chi. Welcome back, Tai Chi. <laughs> it's, just, it's really weird watching Tai Chi as a young lion, and then he's here as like a baby-faced guy in like, white. It's really weird. And he's then joined by two more wrestlers. One's named uh, Nasawa Rongai, who was the guy who was arrested with Ayo Shirai when someone planted cannabis, trying to get them in trouble on their travel things when they're travelling back to Japan. <laughs> just small world <laughs> I should have eyes been linked here um, but then there's also the third man was Takamichinoku so that's Taichi Rangai and Takamichinoku two names that are very uh, associated with a certain uh, stable mm, you might see where this is going so after the tag match with uh, it's Kojima and oh, you know, it might have been Nabushi actually Kojima and Nabushi and Tanahashi and somebody else uh, unless I can't remember who it was. Uh, it was, it was a veteran and younger person was the kind of gist of the match. Uh, but after the match, Kojima attacked Tanahashi, hitting him from, with a leg from behind, and then he stood on Tanahashi, lifting the belt up high as the crowd were chanting him to go home. <laughs> he threatened, apparently, threatened to do so, uh, but he was never going to do that because he could, in terms of character, especially, he had a point to prove against Hiroshi Tan- uh, Tanahashi here. Calling back to that moment. All the way back, <laughs> all the way back in 2005, where, he, where Kojima won the championship and Tanahashi and Nakamura chased him down. Five years later, sorry, six years later, because it's 2011 by the time that match happens. Interesting. So at this point, Tanahashi is fighting back against the another person, another outsider that's got the championship, and he faces Kojima in the main event of Wrestle Kingdom. And he wins. <laughs> huge, huge moment. I'm skipping over it a little bit because I'm running. I'm closing out now. So he, one hour forty in. I might get this under two hours. Oh, screw you, Miss Fan. <laughs> he said it. Like, um, Miss Fan's words. Uh, I might be able to finish part one of this uh, in the second three-hour show. <laughs> but no. Ah, about to get to where I'm getting to in two hours. Uh, <laughs> I'm mentally breaking though. <laughs> so, anyway, so at Wrestle Kingdom five, I think we are at this point in 2011. Uh, Satoshi Kojima faced Hiroshi Tanahashi and Tanahashi defeated him and this is Tanahashi's record setting reign so this year um, Kazuchika Okada the reason he faced Hiroshi Tanahashi was uh, Hiroshi Tanahashi was defending his all time record kind of defence number where he had the most number of defences in one single reign and, Tana- and Okada was about to beat it and that's when Tanahashi became his opponent earlier in this year an awesome story but this is the title reign where he set that record in 2011. So he beats Kojima. Then he beats Kojima again <laughs> in February. And that's kind of when the thing will start. And before I read the list of opponents he defeats, just to kind of rock it through 2011. Uh, again, in the column, I'm going to go in detail. But on this show, I'm just going to quickly round through it so I can do the link to Okada and I'm going to end at Okada because that's kind of where a lot of people knowledge take off or you can read my column on Tanahashi no sorry the story of Kazuchika Okada it came out last year I'll put a link on Twitter anyway so he yeah so uh, Satoshi Gojima after he loses Tanahashi in February I think this happens in February 
he renames his stable. So he called it Kojima Office kind of before they turned heel and doing all this. And in February, uh, that's when the issue with Aisha Rai and the other guy who's in the stable, whose name is something, and I'm singing so I can scroll up and look where it is, but I can't find it. And now I'm wasting time. Wrong guy. <laughs> Wrong guy. Uh, yeah, so, or Wrong guy. I don't know. Anyway, so uh, Wrong guy and Aisha Rai get their vest issue. and But Wrong guy was bringing in a certain wrestler called MVP. Again, small world. So MVP comes over to join the faction, but he was meant to be teaming up with one guy, but then he had the issue with the cannabis and Shirai and whatnot. So then he was gone for a little bit. Wait, no, I'm getting mixed up. It's not that at all. I've got my facts wrong. He was accused of stealing a taxi, and he didn't even have a, like a license or anything. <laughs> I completely forgot. No, the Shirai thing's years later. <laughs> I'm such an idiot. <laughs> oh, I've, oh, I've linking it all that time, and if you tuned out early, you'll think that that was a thing. And No. Yeah, I forgot one guy. Yeah, he also apparently stole a taxi. And he was, yeah. <laughs> so that's why he wasn't there. And so MVP came into his stable. But this was also when Kojima renamed the stable. And he called that stable Kojima Gun. Yes, very important. That's <laughs> Kojima Gun was the name of the stable now. From February onwards. Right, so back to Tanahashi. This is when Tanahashi does his defence. He defeats Kojima again in February, which then, yeah, we've already talked about. In April, he defeats the New Japan Cup winner, Yuji Nagata. In May, he defeats Nakamura. And then he goes to America on a tour and defeats Charlie Haas. <laughs> Charlie Haas is linked to New Japan, everybody. <laughs> He's got that there. Uh, then, in June, at Dominion, he defeats Goto. July, Giant Bernard. I think he went to uh, WWE shortly after this. Uh, Giant Bernard, this might be his, like, his last hurrah, maybe. Uh, September... He faces the G1 Climax winner, who was Shinsuke Nakamura. October, he faced Naito in his first kind of big-up thing. Uh, again, November, not, stuff doesn't normally happen in November. Uh, December, he once again faced Nagata before Wrestle Kingdom. And at Wrestle Kingdom, we got... Of course, it made sense that, because um, it was also an interesting thing developing. <laughs> anyway, and then at Wrestle Kingdom, he faced Minoru Suzuki. Because back in May... <laughs> so back in May he was facing Nakamura's US tour and everything but back in May Taichi and Takamichi Noku proclaimed they had a new leader and coming up to choke out Kojima from behind was Minoru Suzuki and Suzuki Gun was born started choking out <laughs> the champion the champion sorry choking out Kojima <laughs> from behind Suzuki Gun was born and yeah so wreck from there one um, up until now Suzuki still seems one of the badass vessels and Suzuki going to like a top heel stable to this day as <laughs> this happened in 2011 so Suzuki was then to face the IWGP champion who was Orochi Tanahashi I don't know if that was set up specifically for Tanahashi I've not got full into detail in that yet but and then uh, Tanahashi then defeated Suzuki at Wrestle Kingdom so this is where it ties over. Because of course that means that him versus Nagata kind of makes sense because Nagata has history with Suzuki. So either or. yeah. But Tanahashi's the ace. He has to defend Wrestle Kingdom once again from the invading force of Suzuki Gun. And he successfully does it in the main event of Wrestle Kingdom. But the interesting thing for me is what happens after the match at Wrestle Kingdom. Because after the match, Kazuchika Okada comes out. So this was like his debut as the Rainmaker was at Wrestle Kingdom and he faced Yoshihashi, and the match sucked. <laughs> it's not good. <laughs> the Rainmaker isn't the Rainmaker. It's like, it's like he tries to go for the Lariat, and he turns it into, like, you know, um, like Matt Hardy's, like, side slam thing, whatever you call that. 
it's like that. <laughs> it's just like it's not the Rainmaker clothesline at all. Uh, he just didn't look. The image wasn't quite there. There's a lot of things that were off about it. The match wasn't very good. And then in the main event, keep in mind this is first, this is his return from TNA. He's been given the hair and he's the Rainmaker now. Uh, but something's really off, and the match wasn't very good. And then after the main event, Okada walked out and challenged the champion. Tanahashi laughed him off. I went, oh, fine then. <laughs> All right then. Uh, and he just thought, right, he's going to beat this young kid, and this legendary reign is going to continue, and you get higher and higher numbers for Tanahashi. Come February, it's like a, just over a month later, Okada is completely different. Like in that little window, I said it with um, already with. Like, he's seen it with Nakamura, maybe with his kind of change, and he's seen it with Tanahashi, where he won the title, and then like the next show, he's like this amazing heel. Kazuchika Okada came out of nowhere, and like Tanahashi was not. He was prepared to pretty much just rip apart this rookie, but then Okada, he was so different. He was a, <laughs> he was nailing everything. He looked amazing in his performance, and surprisingly, he ended Tanahashi's reign at New Beginning in February. Okay, that's where Okada's reign begins, and the story of Okada Tanahashi is properly underway now. It become the hottest rivalry of this era. Moving on from Nakamura Tanahashi, we moved on to Tanahashi Okada, which started off with Tanahashi is the ace of his era, and by the time the rivalry ends, it goes on for so long that by the end of the rivalry, Tanahashi hands over the I guess the keys of aceness. <laughs> I don't know what the formality is. Oh. But that's how it all links to Tanahashi and Okada. After Tanahashi defeats Suzuki, Okada walks out, and then at New Beginning, Okada's like this different person. Like he's been conned. Like, like you see it in the movie where they're at the bar and they do the snooker thing. He's like, oh, I'm shit. Want to go another round? We can earn my old money. And like, yeah, let's do it. And yeah, then they get hustled. It's like, it's like he'd been hustled by Okada's shit performance. And then come New Beginning, it was amazing. Oh, this is, oh, poor Tanahashi. But that's where his amazing reign ended, and that's when the Tanahashi Okada story began. So if you want to know more, you can message me and I might go into detail on another show about Tanahashi Okada. But of course, after the like Wrestle Kingdom slash uh, like Christmas New Year period is over, I do have a format for this show. <laughs> it's just turned really random and everything, and I haven't had time to watch any really stuff because I've been busy doing stuff. So, Hiroshi Tanahashi Special. I've linked it from his beginning all the way to Okada. I've pushed over some things just trying to fit it in. But again, I go into way more detail in the column, which will hopefully be coming out either this... I want it to come out by the weekend, by like Sunday. But there's a very high chance that isn't going to happen, just because there's so much to get in. And especially as more gets available on New Japan World. Like, if I've mentioned a match in the column, I've watched it. I don't want to really mention something that I've just read up as like, oh, they had a match and it was good. I'll put I put effort into finding that match so I can watch it. Sometimes I, I can't be done, especially in this tight schedule where I can't really order it and wait for it to arrive on DVD. <laughs> I'm just yeah, I try to seek it out. So it takes a little bit longer, so I'm watching said matches, especially when New Japan matches are often thirty to forty minutes. <laughs> especially when the title matches, it's time consuming and more becomes available around this era, so it might take a little while. Anyway. That has brought me to the end of the Hiroshi Tanahashi special. Do tell me if you enjoyed that to some capacity. I don't know if it's how enjoyable it will be for anyone who's read the column. Do tell me. <laughs> I'm not entirely sure. I tried to throw in little extra tidbits, but then when you get to his title in 2007, there's not really much to add. <laughs> but there's a few things I missed out early on. Anyway, you can catch me next week here on uh, Laws of Pain Radio as I am joined by Burn 
for the end of year awards. Uh, unfortunately, this year, Byrne has watched a lot of WWE. He might have watched more than me. <laughs> so he can actually take part in the awards compared to last year where I got to surprise him with stuff. Uh, but yeah, so the end of year WWE awards. I'll be live with Byrne at 8 EST. So it's not going to be a recorded show. It's going to be live. Don't forget to tune in. Uh, hopefully it all goes to plan. Uh, if we do it earlier, because it is Christmas period, uh, people do have time off. We might do it a little bit earlier. I'll send out a tweet at the Dome Cat if that actually happens. But that's the plan for next week. Live, AEST, WWE Awards Show, End of Year Awards with Burn. Should be fun. Uh, and don't forget to check out the other Lords of Pain radio shows. Tomorrow you've got Mav, Mazza and Maybe Planned on the right side of the pond. Uh, Saturday is normally the Legacy Series, however they're on a hiatus. So you probably you might get nothing or you might get a Kingdom of Honor thing. Uh, and Sunday is Steve's uh, All About the Game Show which obviously is going to be not airing because it's Christmas <laughs> unless Steve has time which I highly doubt <laughs> if he's got time he might put out a show uh, Monday is normally Kingdom of Honor but again keep in mind it is Christmas so if Jamal and Jeff pre-record something you'll be getting a Ring of Honor New Japan chat kind of thing maybe it's Christmas keep in mind uh, Tuesday again it's Christmas with Global Revolution and One Nation Radio live after Smackdown Again, it's Christmas Day. Don't get your <laughs> there's a chance that we try maybe something will get sword, but I don't know if the James, Rich and Lass, uh, Rich and Lasser, if Rich and James will definitely be live immediately after SmackDown on Christmas Day. <laughs> there's a even WWE have pre-taped their stuff this year, and uh, obviously then come Boxing Day you might be getting a plan with this Sports Entertainment is Dead show or a plan seed all up in you, and then the 27th it's back with me with my live show with Burn, and that brings me to the end of the show. Again, hopefully this was some form of enjoyment. Again, I thought it would be like a tedious thing that would feel like a really long time to me, but for me it's absolutely flown by and I didn't realise what the time was and I've not put in an ad break. No, I did put in an ad break. <laughs> I've also lost my brain and memory and I've fallen apart. Ah. Anyway, thank you for listening. If you made it this far, you are mental. <laughs> thank you. Uh, uh, I'll, again, I'll be back at the same time next week. Catch me on Twitter, at the Domain for Cat. And with that, I bid you adieu. Oh, look out for the column as well. Um, <laughs> hopefully I have it out by Monday that's what I'm trying to say sorry hopefully I have it out by Sunday but if I don't I'll try to get it out by the end of the year or minimum before Wrestle Kingdom myself and Sir Sam are thinking about doing a collab together uh, where we kind of preview Wrestle Kingdom as well so look out for those things right and with that with all the stuff finally done with that I bid you adieu Merry Christmas adios <laughs> As your interior designer, I'm saying do everything in black. Walls, sofa, carpet, goldfish, everything. Um, can we not have a bit of colour? Maybe one tiny highlight in Battleship Grey. It's your home, so you should be in charge. With Avancard's flexible home improvement loan, you are. You can choose any repayment period that works best for you up to 84 months. That's seven years. Find out more at avancard.ie. Lending criteria, terms and conditions apply. New applications only. Seven-year term applies to minimum loan value of €20,000. Avancard Dock Trading as Avancard is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland.